This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting a position on him. So never let the truth fall some of our boards to the world. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? Who remember the name? You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, episode 21. I'm your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we are, as promised for the Alwar Frequency... We are going to take a dive into one of the most notorious trials in American history. One that has truly reverberated throughout the ages. Yes, certainly reverberated uh, through the (laughs) ages. And uh, yeah, this is a topic that originally came up uh, in our episode on giants. And uh, we were discussing uh, the... uh, giant enthusiast Cotton Mather, uh, who's mm. sort of widely known uh, as someone who was kind of this uh, wild-eyed, uh, very religious uh, maniac who was stoking up mm-hmm. these uh, witch trials. But uh, in the final analysis, uh, I think uh, he we can say that uh, Cotton Mather did nothing wrong. Um, he, I would say that's uh, pretty. That that's pretty. Uh, yeah, Cotton I would Mather be pretty, did nothing, nothing wrong. wrong. Uh, and, yeah, um, and tangential to that, folks, Miller lied. <laughs> uh, yes, Miller definitely lied. Not only did Miller lie, but the sort of popular historiography around uh the Salem witch trials like the the basic notion of how it went down which is heavily shaped by arthur miller uh but also people who like you of whom you'd expect a little bit more like historians uh Mm -hmm. that's like there's a lot of bullshit in that too um (laughs) yeah i mean cotton mather did nothing wrong like relatively speaking i mean he was still like a colonial like you know puritan who like uh, probably wanted to commit genocide against Native Americans or whatever, but mm-hmm. relative to the witchcraft trials, uh, he didn't really do too much that was wrong. Um, you no, know, uh, no. uh, he, much to my surprise, he defended uh, like the judges. He kind of stood up for his friends in authority who were a bit more um, uh, guilty of uh, doing some stuff that was uh, arguably wrong. Um, I mean, the main thing is that, uh, it's possible that, uh, well, 
let's uh let's go over it systematically i think uh okay. one of the the key texts that we looked at uh for this episode is a truly uh a true gem of a book um by uh chadwick hansen um mm-hmm. which is uh called witchcraft at salem um yes. and the thesis of the book basically uh is well it's a broad reappraisal of certain aspects of the popular narrative uh but one of the the most sort of controversial is uh that you know it argues that there actually was uh witchcraft being practiced uh in salem at the time mm-hmm. exactly, uh, and that, exactly. Yes, some of the people who were hung for witchcraft uh actually did practice witchcraft <laughs> um and uh yeah this came out in 1969 um mm-hmm. so it did yeah, yeah it, with, uh, with you know a, b- a benefit of kind of modern psychological insights i would say you know yeah as an author who is familiar with freud and um you know, yeah it's definitely of... not the first i mean obviously not because there are people at the time but it's also not the first book like in the intervening centuries to have contended something to the effect of uh the argument that there were witches uh practicing witchcraft involved in this but mm-hmm. uh it's definitely you know the most recent and the most like you know uh academic uh the one that would most pass muster with your sort of although i mean in today's climate, I'm sure like this guy would be like canceled instantly. Um, the but, da- I would yeah. I would make a strong case that the daughters of the witches that they couldn't burn would come after him pretty hard. Yes, they. If you know, they definitely you know would. broadly yes. speaking. Um, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's funny how he talks. It's because he says like witchcraft today is mostly extinct, uh, you know, in the Western world because people have stopped you know, believing in its effects. Well, mm, uh, I don't know. As subliminal John. As, uh, well, he was uh, right in the seventies. So maybe that's then, like it was, mo- but it's roaring back. It's roaring back. Right um, after the release of Rosemary's baby. And when a, a certain, uh, a certain sorcerer was over in Vietnam, uh, doing operation wandering soul. Um, it was definitely making a comeback baby. Definitely yeah. making a comeback. Um, but before we jump into his uh, his sort of counter narrative, maybe should we sort of read the official history or just go over well, it real quickly? He actually of like... gives <clears throat> he actually gives a good summary of like he says the traditional interpretation of what happened at Salem is as much the product of ca- casual journalism and imaginative literature as it is of historical scholarship. It might be summarized as follows: one, no witchcraft was practiced in Massachusetts. Two, the behavior of the, quote, afflicted persons, including their convulsive fits, was fraudulent and designed chiefly to call attention to themselves. Three, the afflicted persons were inspired, stimulated, and encouraged by the clergy, especially Cotton Mather, who used mm. the fear of witchcraft as a means of bolstering their, uh, yeah, their sagging power in the community. Uh, or their flagging power in the community. Mm-hmm. The, uh, cl- uh, and four, the clergy whipped the general populace into a state of mass hysteria with their sermons and writings on witchcraft. Five, the only significant opposition to the proceedings at Salem came from the merchant class, specifically from Thomas Brattle and Robert Califf. And six, the executions were unique in Western civilization and therefore monstrous and attributable to some narrowness or fanaticism uh, or repressiveness peculiar to the Puritans. Mm, um, so basically, none of that stuff <clears throat> like uh, is true. 
you know, I think that we can fairly say. Um, yeah, you don't have to yeah. agree with everything in Hardwick uh, or in Hanson, Chadwick Hanson. But uh, you, uh, you, I think most of that stuff really is is false that he, he names as being false. Um, uh-huh. Like the really, the clerical class, and in particular Cotton Mather, really did try to tramp down on this and approach it with a little bit of moderation. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah, and the whole aspect of the afflictions, those were all, uh, his argument is that they were, like, induced through, basically, the belief in it, through a kind of, like, self-hypnosis, uh, you know, a kind of psychogenic, uh, reality, um, mm-hmm. that these, you know, uh, fits actually did happen, and that, yeah. in certain cases like these effects were being sought by people who were practicing like forms of image magic. Um, and, uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I I think that really the, the strongest light in which, uh, you know, you could, um, or I think the greatest achievement of his writing is to kind of break down a lot of these historical fallacies that snuck into the narrative over the centuries and are actually, almost it's almost incredibly easy to sort of debunk them as somewhat a historical um you know uh even before you get into like the facts of the case just the idea that witchcraft trials were a rare monstrous anomaly in the 17th century is kind of patently ridiculous if you look at what was going on in europe in the 17th century yeah. um, um and he makes a really convincing case right out of the gate that like first of all this is happening within a context within like a social and religious context at the time where these were incredibly common. And in fact, in England, the the typical penalties, that, for one, there were way more witch trials in England throughout this century than there were in New England. And second of all, the rate of like execution, um, and usually through in a much more grisly manner than by hanging, usually right burned at the stake um, or... I don't know, drowned, whatever it may be. Um, Basically, uh, it was much more common in England and also on the European continent to execute witches. And so you can't really look at, I know it's like, it's very tempting to look at like, look how ideological and religious these Puritans were. And you can definitely make, I think, arguments about that um, in a broader sense about, you know, um, Puritan strains of, uh, you know, the theocratic government and whatnot um and obviously their their you know status as like settler colonists who own slaves there's a lot there but to say that they're particularly you know the it's almost like in i don't know i feel like in a certain particularly white liberal imaginary in america um the absolute worst thing about the puritans was not any of the stuff i just mentioned but the fact that they falsely like accused people of doing witchcraft and you know, like as if this is a totally wacky kind of, you know, maniac cult kind of society like Handmaid's Tale or something where, uh, where you know, they just did these like frightening, you know, uh, trials and stuff. But in fact, I mean, this was part of a much larger. So, you know, when they cite the texts of people like Cotton Mather writing about witchcraft, it's, you know, he's writing about something that is a very common phenomenon and was yeah, believed and in by the vast... everyone believed in. Everybody, almost without exception. Were, including the people who were skeptics believed in it. It was just a matter of, like, how it worked. That uh-huh. was what people disagreed about. And, like, someone like, 
you know, uh, Thomas Hobbes or whatever, or someone who, you know, disbelieved in uh, the actual, like, ability of, uh, for instance, like, uh, and this is something that Hansen quotes, he says, like, you know, uh, Thomas Hobbes wrote, as for witches, he wrote in his Leviathan, I think not their witchcraft is any real power, but yet that they are justly punished for the false belief that they ha- that they can do some mischief, join with their purpose to do it if they can, their trade being nearer to a new religion than to a craft or a science. Um, so basically, uh, he writes, if you had been sticking pins into your neighbor's image or casting spells on his cow, you would not have wanted Thomas Hobbes to be your judge. He would have believed in your he would not have believed in your occult powers, but he would have hanged you anyway <laughs> for your heresy and for your malice. So yeah. that was like the kind of uh, disagreement that like people had. They still like believed in this like heretical religion of witchcraft. They believed in the phenomenon of the practice of witchcraft. Some disbelieved in its power. Uh, for various reasons, but also everyone was Christian. Everyone believed in God, you know, like the sort of dispute would be like, well, why would God let almost universe? Like it was extremely rare. There was anyone who was even like an agnostic, like uh, the critique would almost be like Robert Califf's critique. uh, You know, someone who kind of exchanged letters with Cotton Mather. Uh, His whole thing was like, well, there isn't evidence in the scriptures for, all these ideas that we have about witchcraft, like the nocturnal flights, the witch's Sabbath, like the witch's teeth, yes. familiar, like, uh, or, you know, why would God let the devil do this? You know, uh-huh. like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like there were, it was stuff. a lot of, it was fought out on that kind of train as opposed yeah. to like, is this totally just made up? And, uh, I just, yeah. I just wonder, I think from the same chapter, just a little historical background, um, that, um, that's provided in this book. Uh, he writes that the penalties for witchcraft were relatively light in the early years of Christian history. In the seventh century, Theodore, Archbishop of Canterbury, in his Liber Ponenti, uh, Ponitentialis, considered the penance appropriate to a person who has been imitating, quote, a stag or a bull that is making himself into a wild animal and dressing in the skin of a herd animal and putting on the heads of beasts. To, quote, those who in such wa- such ways transform themselves into the appearance of wild animal, he assigned penance for three years because this is devilish. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, paganism was so still so widespread and Christianity so new that according to the venerable Bede, King Redwald of East Anglia, quote, had in the same temple an altar to sacrifice to Christ and another to offer victims to demons. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it, it clearly, um, you know, I, I think this idea that, um, you know, I don't know, that, that like Christians like made up at one point, I think that's a common conception in a weird way, even though people also claim that witchcraft has been around forever, but basically that this type of like spooky witchcraft that's like done with malice, basically, um, uh, basically is like an invention of the church's fevered imagination and probably a cynical ploy to like control people. But as you see here, like these were longstanding traditions that for a long time coexisted alongside with Christianity and probably only later were criminalized. And uh, probably around the time that like the Malus Maleficarum uh, was written, I think in what the 14th century that basically called for the eradication of witches um, uh, said, yeah, it was know. like a guide for uh, the Hammer of the Witches. Yeah, it was written in the, it was published in the 15th century. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, it definitely endorsed their extermination and like, you know, had like a program for how to, how to go about it. 
Um, yeah, 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 and and I guess like even uh, like what is kind of described as like white magic in this book, uh, it was something that was practiced even by people that consider themselves to some extent like scientists or materialists. Like he has this, he has this kind of <laughs> very interesting passage about Francis Bacon, where he says, "We forget that Bacon believed you could cure warts by rubbing them with a rind of bacon and hanging it out of a window that faced south, and that witchcraft may take place, quote, by a tacit operation of malign spirits. We forget that Boyle believed in an astonishing and repulsive variety of medicaments, including stewed earthworms, a worsted stocking that has long been worn next to the flesh, and human urine. The latter substance, taken both internally and externally, was one of the favorite items in his pharmacopoeia. It would, he thought, quote, require rather a whole book than a part of an essay to enumerate and insist on its medical virtues it was boyle who proposed that english miners be interviewed as to whether or not they quote meet with any subterraneous demons and if they do in what shape and manner they appear what they portend and what they do and newton the greatest scientist of his age spent more of his time on the occult than he did in the study of physics as we've said many times he explicated for example apocalyptic passages in the bible and interpreted the measurements of solomon's temple hoping in both cases that a mystic reading of the scriptures would lead him to the inner most secrets uh, of the universe. So, uh, and it says we should remember also that the 17th century firmly believed in a dualistic universe, in a material or visible world, and a spiritual or invisible world as well. Heaven was still a concrete reality, as were the angels who inhabited it. So was hell and its devils. Um, so, you know, this was uh, even among the most learned kind of scientists of the time. They were like drinking urine and, <laughs> you know, um, looking for demons and mines and doing all kinds. Of, I mean, like Cotton Mather yeah. was looking for giants. And, and this was extre- this was widespread. Um, uh, I mean, well, the giants, that is the, the biggest thing that, you know, we've ever dealt with or whatever. You know, that's a that's serious true. issue. So he was right about that as well. But yes. um, yeah, but. Yeah, like, really, what's interesting is that the thing about Salem that really makes it unique is that they realized, like, you know, uh, within a matter of years, including, like, even people who were involved in the trials, uh, realized that they trapped the innocent as well as very likely some people who were guilty, if not maybe deserving to be hung for Mm -hmm. what they had done. Um, But, uh, you know, and they, like... Uh, felt bad about it and like uh, took responsibility and like uh, you know tried to come clean and that's like what was unique about it and part of why it's so like ignominious now but uh, there were so many trials subsequently where that didn't happen like uh, Mm -hmm. even you know like uh, yeah like yeah before there was a whole witchcraft like panic across Europe it's weird because it kind of happened like you know like a little bit after that but there still were like you know hangs for witchcraft in the subsequent years like uh the like last person to be uh killed for witchcraft in uh for in an english-speaking country was sarah bassett a black slave who was burned at the stake in bermuda in 1730 so that was considerably after Salem, which was, you know, uh, in the late uh, 17th century. Interesting. Um, and a and much more brutal method of execution as yeah, well. Yeah, there were executions throughout the 18th century on the continent, though. In France, there was one in 1745. In Germany, 1775. In wow. Spain, in 1781. In Switzerland, in 1782. And in Poland, in 1793. Um, wow. So, yeah. Uh, 
and then uh yeah there's uh even in the 20th century like uh there was that uh pennsylvania german witch murder uh the sort of powwow doctor uh who was killed uh but yeah, that's oh, maybe okay episode, um, but yeah um and, but yeah uh, and the attempted burning of a certain setian leader who was falsely and scandalously yeah, ex- accused yes. in the 1980s yes, uh, <laughs> you know i guess uh, yes, we have seen a little uh, bit of it we did see a little bit of a comeback of it yes, in the 1980s true. well all witch trials ensnare the innocent as well as the guilty uh well but, and if yeah. you but if you want to think um, about that you know what's more shaitanic than that um of well, getting yeah, people to turn think, on each other yeah, well, that's, in- like, interestingly enough, like, uh, turning maybe to uh, the Cotton Mather's own words and his notorious uh, Wonders of the Invisible World, uh, mm-hmm. his maniacal, what's often held up as his maniacal screed, and even Chadwick Hansen says that he comes off, like, a little crazy in this, like, whereas, you know, he was much more moderate uh, in most of his dealings. But I think that like uh, his uh, he like he doesn't come off as bad as in this as you would think. Like uh, you know he even says like kind of in line with what you were just saying that uh, you know he's kind of uh, urging everyone to sort of settle down, uh, mm-hmm. settle down. You know, uh, and he says something about like a raven of peace like that appeared. Yeah, he writes um, you know. Uh, like, uh, as for the honorable judges that have been hitherto in the commission, they are above my consideration. Wherefore, I only say thus much of them, that such of them as I have the honor of a personal acquaintance with are men of an excellent spirit. And as at first they went about the work for which they were commissioned with a very aversion, uh, so they have still been under heartbreaking solicitudes, how they might there and best serve both God and man. Uh, in fine, uh, have there been false on any side fallen into? Surely they have at worst been but faults of a well-meaning ignorance. On every side, then, why should we not endeavor with amicable correspondencies to help one another out of the snares wherein the devil would involve us? To wrangle Mm. the devil out of the country will be a truly new experiment. Alas, we are not aware of the devil if we do not think that he aims uh, at inflaming us uh, one against another. And shall we suffer ourselves to be devil-ridden, or by any unadvisableness contribute unto the widening of our breaches? Uh, to say no more, there is a published incredible relation which affirms that very lately in a part of England, where some of the neighborhood were quarreling, a raven from the top of a tree very articulately and unaccountably cried out, Read the third to the Colossians and the fifteenth, uh, where I may, were I myself to choose what sort of bird I would be transformed into, I would say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. Nevertheless, I will for uh, once do the office, which, as it seems, heaven sent that raven upon, even to beg the peace of God may rule in our hearts. Um, So, you know, he kind of did suggest the idea that, like, these uh, arguments and hostilities, like, might be sort of brought on by, uh, you know, Shaitan himself. Mm. Um, In the familiar form of a raven? Uh, well, uh, he was saying that the raven was dispatched by heaven to tell everyone to be peaceful, um, and that their arguments were, uh, sort of demonic, but, um, yeah, like, uh, that he was saying, like, oh, this miraculous thing happened with a raven lately, um, (laughs) you know, just, like, one of the many sort of prodigies, prodigies and, uh, miraculous occurrences that, uh, he believed in, but, uh, yeah, so he definitely, like, uh, entertained the idea that the devil could, you know, uh, manipulate these sort of proceedings, uh, and that type of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, 
And that, that uh, does come up uh, in in um, Chadwick Hansen's book a lot, where he basically, um, he kind of, th- he even mentions during the trial that, that some of the, I don't know which of the judges particularly, but some people were perhaps concerned when there were allegations that, that a, such and such a person had appeared in an apparition, that perhaps it was the devil impersonating that person to frame them for being a devil worshiper yeah. but they actually weren't to like get the get the community to like execute all their you know most prominent citizens yeah and that was cotton mather's whole thing really like the big problem with salem that's held up is that spectral evidence was used like as sufficient evidence like people would see specters and they'd be like okay well that's proof but really, Cotton Mather's whole thing was that you can't use spectral evidence as proof. It's just like an indication of like a, a cause for further investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. like, uh, it's kind of yeah. it's circumstantial evidence, so it matters, but it's not definitive. Yes. Um, he writes in Wonders of the uh, Invisible World. Um, even so, a specter exactly resembling such or such a person with a neighborhood are tormented by such specters may reasonably make magistrates inquisitive whether the persons so representative have done or said anything that may argue their confederacy with evil spirits, although it may be defective enough in point of conviction, especially at a time when tis possible some overpowerful conjurer may have got the skill of thus exhibiting the shapes of all sorts of persons on purpose to stop the prosecution of the wretches whom due inquiries thus provoked might have made obnoxious unto justice quare whether if god would have us to proceed any further than bare inquiry upon what reports there may have come against any man from the world of spirits he will not by his providence at the same time have brought into our hands these more evident and sensible things whereupon a man is esteemed to be a criminal um so basically he's saying like if god is gonna let like spectral evidence convince someone he's gonna give us more like you know material evidence to like convict them as well uh like so we should this is a good way to inquire uh yeah his rhetoric is quite uh you know um old uh middle english uh but that's the gist of what he's getting at uh yeah yeah, um, and yet, and yet, he gets uh, painted as being kind of the, somehow the psychopathic mastermind yeah, of this and, entire thing. Yeah, and, and so, this is by far his most wild uh, book. Yeah, and he he even quotes some stuff from uh, theologian uh, Perkins, I think William Perkins, mm-hmm. uh, who yeah, William Perkins, uh, who I guess was one of these like big Puritan theologians. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned, like, the drowning of witches. Uh, you know, he, he quotes, like, his whole method for detecting witches. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's quite rigorous. It's more rigorous than, you know, uh, uh, Keith Rainier's method of detecting Luciferians. Uh, he mm-hmm. uh, says, like, you know, if uh, any man or woman be notoriously defamed for a witch, this yields a strong suspicion as a judge ought to carefully look at the report made by men of honesty and credit, uh, or be made by men of honesty and credit. If a fellow witch or magician give testimony of any person to be a witch, this indeed is not sufficient for condemnation, but it is a fit presumption to cause a straight examination. If after cursing there follow death, or at least some mischief, for witches are wont to practice their mischievous facts by cursing or banning, this also is a sufficient manner of examination, though not of conviction. 
if after enmity quarreling or threatening a present mischief does follow, that also is a great presumption. If the party suspected be son or daughter, the man, servant, or maidservant, the familiar friend, near neighbor, or old companion of a known or convicted witch, this may likewise be a presumption, for witchcraft is an art that may be learned and conveyed from man to man. Some add this for a presumption, if the party suspected be found to have the devil's mark, for it is commonly thought when the devil makes his covenant with them, he always leaves his mark behind them, whereby he knows them for his own, a mark whereof no evident reason in nature can be given. A little bit like, you know, rough there. Um, but yeah, he, uh, like, uh, the, like one, uh, important point, uh, that, uh, Perkins makes here is that, like, you know, uh, the, um, like, a testimony of a witch, there is, uh, a second sufficient conviction by the testimony of two witnesses of good and honest report avouching before the magistrate upon their own knowledge. These two things, either the party accused hath made a league with the devil, or hath done some known practices of witchcraft. And all arguments that do necessarily prove either of these being brought by two sufficient witnesses are a force fully to convict the party suspected. If it can be proved that the party suspected have called upon the devil or desired his help, this is a pregnant proof of a league formally made between them. Um, uh, well, I guess this is a different part. But anyway, he makes the point that, oh yeah, he says, if the devil tell the grand jury that the person in question is a witch and offers withal to confirm the same by oath, should the inquiry receive his oath or accusation to condemn this man? Assuredly, no. And yet, this is as much as the testimony of another wizard who only by the devil's help reveals the witch. So, you know, you mm. can't, like, take uh, these, what these, some of these witches are saying, like, as being, uh, if someone's accused of a witch when they accuse someone else, you shouldn't do that. Not that, that did, in some ways, happen at Salem, but that's yeah. because Cotton Mather wasn't there. Cotton Mather was not involved. He was not yeah, involved. Yeah, he didn't, yeah. Another um, uh, key thing he says before we move on from this is that uh, you mentioned the sort of drowning of witches and mm -hmm. uh, Perkins, uh, you know, who Cotton Mather, I guess, swears by among this sort of triumvirate of theologians. Uh, some tokens for the trial of witches are altogether unwarrantable. Such are the old paganish sign, the witch's long eyes, the tradition of witches not weeping, the casting of the witch to the water with thumbs and toes tied across, and many more such marks, which if they are to know a witch by, certainly tis no other witch but the user of them. So that's a heavy thing, saying, like, you know, if you're using these methods to find a witch, you're, like, really, you know, the evil one. Uh, well, but, yeah, uh, that, that's, yeah. uh, it, it's interesting. It actually reminds me a lot, uh, have you ever seen the movie The Devils? from um, 1971 oh, yeah, yeah. the ken russell mm -hmm. film right, yeah, yeah yeah i actually think it's a great of all the movies kind of about like with like a witch trial or anything like that i i think it's uh it's kind of one of the more maybe like woke ones um even though it is based on a book by aldous huxley who's a huge sus lord um uh, i think the um you know I don't know, not to ruin it too uh, drastically for everybody, but I think the the thematic kind of reveal of that movie is that, like, it goes further from just being, you know, it's basically about a priest in a town in France who uh, is accused by a sexually oppressed nun of, um, you know, uh, doing sexual things with uh with the nuns under her care and i think to her and i think it's like it's loosely based on maybe a real um yeah urbane grandier a 17th century roman catholic priest and um and there were a series of possessions in this nunnery uh in ludon 
and eventually this priest was kind of fingered as the uh you know the the wizard if you will who was uh you know doing all these horrible things and stuff like that so i mean this is the same century where salem and all this other stuff is happening but the kind of twist at the end it goes further than just being like oh these are worldly kind of bad guys that are sacrificing him for like political reasons and i think that at the end it kind of like it it delves into kind of the territory of like they are actually the witches and they're sacrificing him and Mm. um they're the the way that they all like laugh maniacally as he's like burned at the stake and like it zooms in on their faces and they're all like utterly demonic and they're all these like corrupt like corrupt bishops and things like that who because he's like it's some there's something going on i don't know with like the huguenots and the king and you know there's some beef going on that this priest has found himself like in the middle of and i think he has some kind of um somewhat unorthodox ideas about um you know uh that he preaches from the pulpit that you know more powerful people don't like so they like set up this whole thing and yeah yeah so it basically is like not just that they were like wrong but like the accusers are the demons and that's kind of a Mm. yeah so i mean it it kind of checks out in that way because i think it would be lame if it was just like he was wrongly accused i don't know um it was originally rated x it's a pretty wild movie but Mm, yeah um, i remember seeing it a while ago um, yeah, yeah, it's one yeah. of those very famous horror films. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, very scary. They screen it here a lot, you know, around Halloween time. Giles Corey was a wizard strong, a stubborn wretch was he, and fit was he to swing on high upon the locust tree. So when before the magistrates for trial he did come, he would no true confession make, but stayed completely dumb. Giles Corey said the magistrate, What hast thou here to plead? To these that now accuse thy soul Of crimes and horrid deed. Giles Corey, he said not a word, no single word spoke he. Giles Corey said the magistrate, we'll press it out of thee. It's, yeah, it's an interesting, like, take. I think that that is like you know that's kind of like the conspiracy angle like in a lot of the i mean the whole thing of like witchcraft is such a fascinating subject and you really it you know just endlessly interesting and something that you could just like read about forever but like one thing that did kind of come up both in hansen's book and a lot of the other books i read on like the witchcraft like hunts and the witchcraft phenomenon in general um like it 
uh, is kind of a combination of things uh, on like one level. Like usually it's kind of at the level of like the sort of peasantry or the lay folk who mm-hmm. are looking for like sort of old crones, uh, like old women who are sort of like a burden to the community and like being sort of misogynistic. Whereas uh, the more learned people, like in some cases they might be exercising restraint, like was the case, uh, you know, arguably at Salem, but in other cases they might be sort of very zealous and, and persecuting or looking for witches, but they're looking for them in a very different way and their criteria is different. And it's based on like, you know, the real practice of ritual magic in elite circles. So like what you sort of start to see happening with the idea of the witch's Sabbath and like mm-hmm. the sort of confederacy with the devil and these covens and these uh, organizations is like the combination of the sort of folk beliefs about witchcraft and like the sort of, uh, you know, just general misogyny across all stratas of society with like these, uh, you know, what you see like kind of in the persecution of the Templars we talked about before or yeah. in the Pope Boniface uh, the Eighth. Uh, situation where you know he was accused of doing this type of stuff um yeah there's actually an interesting case that uh hansen brought up of like a witchcraft trial in uh in 1680 just like uh 10 years before salem that happened at the court of uh louis the 14th oh, okay. um yeah and uh apparently it was like really crazy um and it basically like involved these like satanic masses uh, to try to get love potions by like one of Louis's mistresses, um, and like uh, there was potentially like some baby eating uh, involved, like wow. um, little Gilles yeah, de Ray like, kind of action. Like uh, the testimony says is that Louis's affections had become increasingly hard to hold, and Madame de Montespan therefore had recourse to more and more drastic measures. A number of priests were part of La Voisin's ring, and that's like an occultist who was, you know, operating in this court. Um, and in 1672, she called in the most depraved of these, the Abbe Guibourg, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, to perform amatory masses, which involved using Madame de Montespan's naked body as an altar on which to place the chalice. It also required the ritual sacrifice of an infant, part of whose blood was mixed with flour in the chalice to make an obscene sacramental wafer. At the conclusion of the mass, the wafer and some of the infant's blood were given to the sun king's mistress. At the strongest of love potions, they were to be mixed with this food as before. Amatory masses were formed again in 1676, but by 1679, the Montespan concluded that she had lost the king and ordered a mortuary rather than an amatory mass. When that mm. piece of imitative magic did not succeed in killing Louis, she planned to poison him, but La Voisine was arrested before the plot could be carried out. As we have seen, the testimony is sensational and it was a pain at her torture. It is not surprising that many have refused to believe it, but there was reason to think that Louis believed it. La mm-hmm. Reynier urged the king to make the testimony public so that the worst of the ring, uh, figures like Abbe Guibourg, might be brought to trial. The king would agree to their trial, but not to making public any of the accusations against Madame de Montespan, and La Reynier felt he could not proceed without these. Eventually, the difficulty was solved uh, with letters de cachet, letters from the king by which any of his subjects could be imprisoned for life without trial. <laughs> uh, you know, Le Voisin had been burned at the stake in 1680 before anyone had mentioned the name of the king's mistress. Uh, but the surviving members of her ring ended their lives chained to the walls of the French prison. The last of them died in 1724, 32 years after the last witch was hanged in Massachusetts. Um, 
so yeah anyway like uh Salem and Versailles were alike in refraining the escape of the distinguished members of the community implicated in the course of their witchcraft investigations, but in virtually everything else they differed, and all the differences suggest that the French court was more brutal and barbaric of the two communities. Torture, secrecy, imprisonment without trial, these are the messages of the old regime. During mm. and after the Salem trials, witchcraft was a matter of continual debate, and when as a result of that debate it became apparent that the innocent had suffered, both individuals in the state did what they could to make reparations. The French court could hardly make reparations if reparations were in order, as they must have been in some instances. Every witch hunt traps the innocent as well as the guilty. I like how he's always like, uh, uh, Hanson is always sort of gesturing the possibility that they were witches, uh, because it had not put more than a minority of suspects to public trial. The letters de cachet had closed off not only all questions of guilt or innocence, but all possibility of debating them. Uh, mm, so basically, like, again... Uh, compared to that whole, like, thing, uh, you know, the Salem situation, it's more public and therefore more known, but mm. it's not, like, necessarily more invidious. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Or, you and know, sinister. I, it's interesting um, that the the public nature has not spared the Salem Witch Charles from becoming kind of the most notorious, the most evil, the worst thing ever, yeah, et cetera. Actually, yeah, yeah. It's um it, it it reminds me of um well I, I think I should just say explicitly because uh, I've joked about it several times but the I kept catching these strange parallels between this entire case and it's like it's almost part of the um half serious structure of this entire episode but when we say like you know Henry Miller or yeah uh, Henry Miller Ar- lied Arthur Miller Arthur, Arthur Miller. Miller lied yeah. I don't know why I thought yeah. Henry Miller um when we say that. When we say that Arthur Miller line, we're referencing a, a book by uh, a professor, Dr. Grover Fur, that is called Khrushchev Lied, the evidence that every revelation of Stalin's and Beria's crimes in Nikita Khrushchev's infamous secret speech to the 20th Partery Congress is provably false. Um, and um, <laughs> basically, uh, you know, this is, I don't know, in some ways kind of an intellectual exercise as to uh, studying maybe, uh, you know, I think later on we could do a whole, like, Grover Fur kind of a dive into, you know, the particulars of that trial, but they're like these kind of, Interesting synchronicities between them where part of the reason for one uh, that the the show trials of the 1930s in the Soviet Union have such a kind of charged and negative reputation around the world is uh, much like in Salem uh, some of the you know uh, some of the you know executioners so to speak people from the party Nikita Khrushchev mainly when he took over the party in the 50s had this secret speech where he basically um, denounced all of the show trials and accused Joseph Stalin in particular of basically masterminding the entire thing as a conspiracy to murder everybody that you know perhaps like opposed him in you know uh, uh basically in this very um you know domineering way and it you know that that has that has about as much currency as the idea that like everybody who did the salem witch trials is w- was involved in some kind of evil conspiracy um and particularly the the figure of cotton mather who usually gets demonized as kind of the um you know the the mastermind of this whole thing because he had written these treatises like he was ideologically obsessed with like getting rid of witches and this must have all been uh you know masterminded by him has a certain kind of synchronicity with like the argument that grover fur makes that you know stalin gets pinned with all these things that he like personally masterminded all of this but actually like he 
he he wasn't as directly involved as we uh, you know as people assume and actually he was counseling for like caution it was the it was actually the local troikas that they basically established to adjudicate whether or not people were spies or wreckers or things like that that basically kind of ran out of control and actually there was a lot of popular um, outcry like from even the people themselves to round up and like execute and punish all these like you know these saboteurs these uh, you know nefarious people that were running around as part of you know some kind of nefarious Trotskyite conspiracy but again kind of like Cotton Mather um, the actual people in like the central committee were focused on like a military conspiracy involving Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan and maybe some Western countries that had basically turned a lot of generals and, you know, people, uh, you know, politicians in the party and were planning some kind of nefarious coup that would, you know, basically take over the Kremlin and kill Stalin and uh, Molotov and Beria and everybody else and then, like, hand the country back to the capitalists or something like that. But then when in practice, what kind of happened was uh, once they gave this kind of broad license to the masses to basically kind of become almost like, you know, um, an informal grand jury of sorts that could level accusations against somebody like in their town, maybe a boss they didn't like or something like that. Um, Then all of a sudden you started to see like all these people getting like shipped off to gulags and like 700,000 people getting death sentences for being like Trotskyite saboteurs. And uh, you know, that's definitely an argument for another day, but um, there's just, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it's funny to think about um, just, some of the because in a way i mean these they call them show trials but the quote that you just read about how the french were kind of um in a way you know it was worse that they sort of hid all their legal proceedings to the extent that they did have them um whereas in the whereas in the colonies in new england they had public trials but nobody ever calls the salem witch trials show trials i mean i guess they maybe they well well if we get to arthur miller i mean obviously he almost made like a very hard line comparison in his play yeah. to both basically he was simultaneously criticizing the McCarthy uh, House on American Activity Committee hearings, you know, rooting out communists and also kind of taking a, a kind of a shot at like the 1930s show trials in the Soviet Union. So in a weird way, I mean, like the modern thinking of this is almost that um, like there's something more offensive about putting it out in public at that. Like this is all a show. This is all theater to basically yeah. parade around the accused and uh, and then get the mob to kind of bay for their blood and have them hanged and stuff. And I don't know. There's a lot of like really interesting like psychosocial dynamics going on with kind of yeah. – you know the way that how do you adjudicate and i don't know maybe even like the similarity between like somebody in like a satanic witch cult and like a uh, a, a trotskyite wrecker <laughs> I don't know. like because like, in um, a way like the way they were described was like they were these like demonic like you know underminers who were you know just trying to like kind of you know rip apart society from from the underbelly and uh and get everybody accusing you but then you know you might even think of like the ultimate satanic thing would be to like get people people killing their own people who are innocent. Um, and I think both from the perspective, so let's just say for like hypothetically, if like Nazis did have some kind of like plot going on, but like 
I'm not saying there's any evidence for this, but like if they wanted like the Soviets to get paranoid and start like throwing people in gulags and like executing people to like weaken themselves, like that would be a clever shaitanic yeah. trick to pull, maybe. Um, well, Cotton Mather had a quote uh, that was something like, uh, I'm trying to recall what it was. It's like, um, uh, yeah, we have, uh, we shall come to have no Christ but a light within, and no heaven but a frame of mind, said Mather. If a materialist, the Sadducees, should succeed in destroying the belief in an invisible world. Um, so basically, like, he saw at stake, like, in all of this, like, the possibility that, like, their whole idea of, like, you know, their whole religious framework would deteriorate if, you know, and a lot of material from the time about the legitimacy of witchcraft, there is this idea of the Sadducees, which is kind of, yeah. like, uh, the same way, like, people who are, like, you know, very particular about law are, like, called Pharisees or whatever. Like, yes. Sadducees are basically materialists, like, in comparison Yeah, to, that was like, the yeah. slur of the day, uh, yeah, yeah, calling yeah, somebody yeah. a Sadducee. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, so, definitely, like, the Salem Witch Trials did, ironically, like, become a way, like, something that's held up to sort of dismiss, like, any kind of, like, belief in the devil or anything like that, you know, to excuse, like, uh, the ultimate satanic panic so in a way mm -hmm. like yeah they uh the devil you could say like won out uh in this uh you know and that's good like you know i guess <laughs> in the point of view of, well but, no uh, i mean and if you want to invoke yeah. the, the 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 big time cliche of you know the greatest trick the devil ever played was like to yes. see that he didn't exist like what better thing than to like snarl up the judicial process and like wrongly or even if you wanted to say something if you wanted to get conspiratory about the 80s satanic panic and how maybe certain cases um, you know, I mean, some might say like the McMartin case, for example, or the lady that went on, I think, uh, Geraldo and said she was like a baby breeder and ended up like being a liar and later like pretended to be a Holocaust survivor and stuff like like that woman <laughs> at least has been verified as like a fraud who is like not being honest. But then, you know, what's more shaitanic than like uh, throwing somebody who's full of shit into the mix with like all these people that maybe have more um, true stories and then getting people to dismiss the entire phenomenon based on, like, you know, one turd in the punch bowl. Yeah, I mean, to, I in terms know. of Arthur Miller, like, his whole thing, and, like, not just him, because, I mean, he is, like, a playwright, so you would expect, like, some fictionalization. I mean, people really do, like, take that as being true, but, like, it's full of, like, fabrications. Like, we were just talking before we started recording that mm -hmm. in the play he represents, like, Abigail Williams and John Proctor as, like, being in some kind of relationship when, like... You know, and she's, like, a sexy, like, teen, like, Winona Ryder-type character. But, mm -hmm. like, really, she was, like, 11. And she and John Proctor, like, never knew each other. You know, so there's, like... And John and Proctor, like, kind of was, John the Proctor was 60 when these trials yeah, happened. Yeah, and he and wasn't, he's... like, you know, a noble Christian Bale martyr. He was, like, an abusive, like, violent maniac who, like, tried to smack the fits out of Mary Warren and, like, threatened her with, like, hot tongs to make her stop <laughs> having... Yeah, yeah, like, uh, so... That is a, yeah. the, definitely something the Witchcraft in Salem uh, book goes into pretty... Um, gets established yeah. pretty early on that, like, this idea that John Proctor was just, like, this solemn, like, good guy who was, like, sensible and stood up for his principles, or even that he was, like, a beautifully flawed individual who had this affair with, like, a teenager, even though, like, I don't know, how old is Abigail supposed to be? 
Um, I know it was the I 17th century, still borderline like Pedro. Um, but uh, also, you know, the, the, from whatever historical evidence that we do have, uh, yeah, he did very um, adamantly yeah. believe in beating that like the the demons out of you know his his daughters and other yeah. young girls who it's were that typical possessed. thing in like historical writing where there's always like some guy who like has like whatever the values of like the contemporary like you know audience uh-huh. will be like somehow and but anyway yeah like uh but in his play like and also in like you know i came across when i was searching up some stuff i came across this weird blog post by like uh it was called like the diabolical delusions of religion or whatever it was like just some dumb blog by like some atheist guy (laughs) who said like he would just read the crucible like every year to remind himself of like the dangers of religion and he also was reading this book also which is literally from like uh the 19th century uh called salem witchcraft as and he was like this is the you know a magisterial like uh by charles wentworth upham who basically was the originator of the idea that cotton mather like stirred this all up and that the whole thing was a conspiracy for like material gain by like the magistrates and like the ministers but Mm. really like you know people were always like talking about witchcraft always being suspicious of witchcraft and like those people for the most part were like you know like trying to tamp down on that stuff in this case like they did become convinced by what was going on because something was happening like these something girls like were really happening. having these crazy pathological fits so, wh- like, yeah, i mean uh, should we should we talk like just just to establish talk. for a second about like what was actually happening to people that caused this whole idea because i feel like even with the salem witch trial narrative that you get in like you know the modern u.s it it almost just Kind of, it's like people were just saying like I it's almost it almost implies that these girls are all making it up right yeah like, it more does. Often that's than what not. the crucible basically says that they all yeah. lied to get out of trouble uh, but they weren't they were actually experiencing these things you could say they were psychosomatic like whatever but definitely uh, well yeah like, yeah i mean there, there's definitely know. kind of an open door to that interpretation that it was like psychosomatic and everything but but as um as uh, witchcraft at Salem kind of really, I think, does a pretty good job of going into that, like, ju- from what, from even what we understood in the 1960s about, like, you know, pathological hysteria, it, is that it doesn't mean that it's like, quote, not real, and it certainly, in a genuine case, is not, you know, it's not something that the the sort of the victim of it controls. I mean, it's something that sort of takes over you, and yeah. it it has a lot more kind of complicated psychological roots than even to the point of like you know getting rashes or the feeling like they they you know things that look like bite marks or things like that or um, you know uh, the lump in the throat kind of thing like not being able to breathe. Um, I forget the the Latin version of that that he makes reference to a lot, like the uh, you yeah. know basically translates to like the lump in the throat. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, and also like, it should be mentioned that a lot of these people, it seemed like they were simultaneously, they were really experiencing hysterical symptoms and they were also accusing people of, you know, uh, I mean, spectrally haunting them, I guess on the, the astral plane, uh, as it were, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and, no, exactly, um, exactly. It was sending yeah, the spirit and, out to haunt them on the astral plane. Yeah, and that was often how witches were thought to attend these Sabbaths, was, like, in spirit, like, astrally. Um, and that is, like, maybe a permutation of other beliefs having to do with that. But anyway, yeah, so they definitely were um, 
you know, accusing them of, of this. Yeah, uh, and, and, and several people even admitted to practicing witchcraft as well. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, also a really important uh, point that um, that is made in Witchcraft at Salem is um, it's an assertion. Let me see if I can find the exact uh, quote here. Um yeah, the, the, he says basically, we must bear in mind that in a society which believes in witchcraft, it works. If you believe in witchcraft and you discover that someone has, has been melting your wax image over a slow fire or muttering charms over your nail pairings, the probability is that you will get extremely sick. To be sure, your symptoms will be psychosomatic rather than organic. But the fact that they are obviously not organic will make them only more terrible since they will seem the result of malefic and demonic power. So it was in 17th century Europe and so it was in 17th century Massachusetts. And he says, yeah, the hideous convulsive fits were thought to be the res- were, th- uh, were thought to be the results of witches and demons wrenching the bodies of their victims into torturous postures. The loss of hearing, speech, sight, appetite, and memory were deprivations caused by Satan himself. The contraction of the throat, the globus hystericus, was seen as an attempt by demons to make the victim swallow occult poisons. And when she swallowed rapidly and her belly swelled, what is actually involved here is a kind of accelerated ulcer formation. It was thought the demons had succeeded. When blistered appeared on the skin, many skin diseases are functional rather than organic. They were thought to have been raised by brimstone out of hell. Uh, many of these symptoms, including the skin lesions, would, fa- would pass fairly rapidly. So I think it's kind of a bold assertion. It would probably be somewhat uh, maybe scoffed at today. But the idea that if you are living in a society which believes in witchcraft, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah i mean like i don't know yeah maybe some would scoff at it but i think that that's a pretty like moderate idea like you know compared to the idea that witchcraft simply like works no matter what and i don't know like uh yeah what um well i think of, I, like uh, oh yeah uh, one sorry, of the I... most uh compelling things or like one of the most uh interesting incidents is the the levitation that occurred in the margaret rule case yeah uh the Margaret Rule case was one uh, where I guess that was kind of like uh, later on, um, and this was one that uh, Robert Califf like definitely raised like some objections uh, about. Like uh, this is the one where he accused Cotton Mather of like you know uh, touching, uh, you know rubbing uh, this woman like upon upon the breast uh, or mm-hmm. or whatever, just to like uh, go over like. Uh, their debate you know um he accused him basically of like you know looking under her bedclothes and doing his stuff and trying to like you know get her to name some uh more people uh Mather wrote back to him tis as far from true that my apprehension of the imp about rule was on her belly for the oaths of the spectators and even of those that thought they felt it can testify that it was on the pillow at a distance from her body as untrue representation is that which follows, that it was said unto her that her not apprehending of that odd, palpable, though not visible mover was from her fancy, for I endeavored to persuade her that it might be but fancy in others, that there was any such thing at all. Witnesses every way sufficient can be produced for this also. It is falsely represented that my father felt in the young woman after the appearance mentioned, for his hand was never near her, that's increased matter, his father, Oath can sufficiently vindicate him. Tis very untrue that my father prayed. You know, then he goes on to, like, how long his father prayed, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you know, he just uh, ends up saying, like, uh, I am not unwilling to communicate, uh, you know, uh, a true and full narrative of my visit. 
In the meantime, uh, you know, must take liberty to say it is scarcely consistent with common civility, much less Christian charity, to offer the narrative now with you for a true one till you have a truer or a full one, till you have a fuller, uh, or for a full one till you have a fuller. So uh, your sincere, though injured friend and servant, Cotton Mather. So basically, <laughs> like, you know, he d uh, denied these things and produced, like, a witnesses and testimony um, you know, like, I do testify that I've seen Margaret Rule and her afflictions from the invisible world lifted up from her bed, wholly by an invisible force, a great way towards the top of the room where she lay. And her being so lifted, she had no assistance from any use of her own arms or hands or any other part of her body, not so much as her heels touching her bed or resting any support whatsoever. And I have seen her thus lifted when not only a strong person hath thrown his whole weight across her to pull her down, but several other persons have endeavored with all their might to hinder her from being raised up. But I suppose that several others will testify as well as myself when called to it. Uh, so that's what, you know, one person and several others sort of corroborate that. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Hansen sort of argues that uh, this might be, he writes, like, uh, these statements might possibly describe an arc de cercle, a violently arched position of the body not uncommon in hysterical fits, which yes. would raise the trunk of the body a considerable distance off the bed. Combined with the power of suggestion to affect the bias in their senses, this might account for their belief that they'd witnessed levitation, yet they were not simply bystanders, they were engaging in violent physical activity, trying to bring her body back to the bed. Such activity would ordinarily tend to break the power of suggestion, and levitation has been so frequently reported from so many times and places, from the 20th century Indian Fokker to the medieval or Renaissance saint, that one cannot be at all sure there is a satisfactory explanation for it, particularly since so many witnesses insisted that no part of Margaret Rule's body was touching the bed. And in Arc de Cercle, the head and feet do, of course, touch. Uh, well, you know, he's kind of like saying, like, maybe she did levitate, but whether yeah, you think no. it or not, the point is it was so dramatic that it wasn't fake. You yeah, know, like yeah, they weren't was, just like, putting it on. There was a witch known as Old Meg. She hobbled around with only one leg. She'd limp into Gloucester a shilling to beg and kept all her money nailed up in the keg. Pity Old Meg, pity Old Meg, kept all her money nailed up in the keg. You know, I think that ties into a case that um, that Hansen describes like early in his book um, where, you know, the Salem witch trials were not the first time that Cotton Mather became aware of a kind of witch situation in New England um, because there was, a, there was a guy named John Goodwin whose several children became uh, kind of started exhibiting these systems in 1688 like a few years before the Salem trials and um and I guess yeah that um he also mentions the Arctic Circle which I looked up and uh honestly kind of reminds me of uh the Jeffrey Dahmer victim and also the headless uh statue in Tony Podesta's house um mm. the Arch of Hysteria um uh, it's almost exactly the same. But anyways, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, there were things like that. He he mentions elsewhere, uh, I think, later on. There were uh, 
in the book that there were there were levitation claims during Salem. But in this John Goodwin case, Cotton Mather was a medical student at the time, and he actually went and um, I think he brought some of these children into his home after a certain point to study them. And he, you know, he left behind a lot of notes and things like that. Um, and, and genuinely, like, he was more focused on helping them recover from this kind of, you know, curse or possession or whatever than he was, um, you know, trying to hunt down the sickos who did this, um, which I guess, you know, would maybe change later. But he mentions a few things like, you know, he said, yay, their heads would be twisted almost round. It sounds exactly like the exorcist. And uh, like, you know, crawling on the ceiling, uh, doing the arc the circle in a weird way, um, you know, speak, not being able to speak or speaking in weird kind of dissociative you know, almost like multiple personalities kind of stuff. And, you know, the person that was arrested in that case was uh, was Ann Glover, who was an Irish woman who was a housekeeper of John Goodwin, right? And um, in the summer of 1688, Martha Goodwin, who was 13, um, accused Ann Glover's daughter of stealing... Well, I'm reading from the Wikipedia, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, he accused Ann Glover's daughter, who also worked for them, of stealing laundry. This caused Ann to have a fierce argument with Martha and the Goodwin children, which then supposedly caused them to become ill and start acting strangely. The doctor who was called suggested it was caused by witchcraft uh, because he could not offer another diagnosis or heal the children. And that was also a thing that Hansen mentions, which is like doctors commonly in the 17th century would diagnose things they couldn't explain with perhaps it was witchcraft. Um, So that was like really kind of normal. And, you know, Hansen talks about, you know, good wife Ann Glover, who was, I think, the last person to be hung for witchcraft in Boston. And eventually, I think, uh maybe got um yeah so she was actually hung before uh the salem witch trials began but was the last person in boston proper to be hung there and i don't know i mean there is a let's see uh there was evidence brought into the court uh, oh yeah that was a very point i think he calls it like the most clear-cut case of witchcraft uh yes he says yeah this is goat's hair in them yeah Yeah. he says there there has never been a more clear-cut case of witchcraft uh because they found several small images or puppets or babies made of rags and stuffed with goat's hair and other such ingredients and yeah he says the uh image magic is the commonest form of black magic uh, the impulse behind it survives even when belief in magic is gone, as anyone knows who has torn up the photograph of a person with whom he was angry. College students are obeying the same impulse when they hang or burn someone in effigy, and it is worth noticing that hanging and burning were the means of executing witches. What is most important is that her witchcraft plainly worked, and in no indiscriminate fashion. When she tormented one of her dolls, one of the Goodwin children fell into sad fits. When it is remembered uh, that in a society which believes in witchcraft, the violent hysterical symptoms to which the Goodwin children were subject not infrequently terminate in death, it cannot be said that the Boston court acted either harshly or unjustly. Indeed, when one considers the ferocity of 17th century English law, simple hanging seems almost a lenient sentence. Oh, <laughs> uh, word. Okay. But, but hey, but um, you know what, though? You know what, though? When Glover was on her way to the gallows, she announced that the children's afflictions would not cease at her death because others had a hand in the witchcraft as well as she and the afflictions did indeed continue. Well, yeah, I guess his idea is that, like, if 
when witchcraft works, you know, if these malicious uh, occult activities actually have an effect, like, it is pretty, you know, uh, evil to do them. I don't know. Uh, that's quite Regardless a bold, of the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, what, again, another another strong parallel to Grover Fur was, like, uh, every single one of yeah. these people uh, was absolutely guilty. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, like, well, he does know. say that a lot of it. Like, there was one, like, little child, like, uh, I think Dorcas uh, yeah. who, who died. I forget what her last name was. Dorcas Good. Wait, was um, the five-year-old executed? Yeah, she. she <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, that yeah, was a little problematic. Um, uh, yes, um, and I, I guess Mather, if only Cotton Mather had been there to to stop the madness. Um, but yeah, well, I uh, mean, there there are a couple. Well, Cotton Mather was kind of around this at the time, but he was, you know, he was in medical school, and well, Cotton he, Mather was involved with the the Glover thing, but uh, you know, yeah. in that case, he had to do it. It was yeah, <laughs> it was he, he did say that when when she yeah um, when she came into his home that he observed flying not not in a way that was uh not in a way that she would like fly off into the air like a bird but that she could like jump extra kind of high and like like it it was at a level uh that was kind of physically impossible for a human um but she could kind of like lift up in the air and like levitate a little bit for like a moment and uh and stuff like that so you know he he ended up being basically i guess he saw his kind of a you know point of interest in all of this was because he was kind of a an ideological opponent of the so-called sadducees you know the, the sort of not really materialist, but like materialist for their time. Um, he thought that this was maybe a golden opportunity to kind of get into the, the evidentiary record, like a real case of like witchcraft, like a real like witch conspiracy going on. And if he could kind of, you know, study the symptoms and all these other things that he could basically convince these, you know, Sadducees out, these doubters out here that in fact the spirit world existed. Because, yeah. like we said, the other people, even though they were still Christians, were kind of doubting this idea that there was, like, a spirit world. And that, you know, basically that witches, even though the, pretty much everybody believed that they existed to some degree, they believe, well, you know, they obviously can't do anything because there, there is no kind of spirit realm that they can call on. And, and yeah. Mather strongly disagreed with that. But he wasn't saying, like, hey, let's go just, like, execute everybody and, uh, and all that stuff. He still believed that you had to take a kind of prudent approach to yeah. investigating Yeah, he definitely believed in the crime of witchcraft, as most people did. But he was definitely, like, you know, a more restrained person. And, like, uh, it's actually similar. It's interesting that uh, good wife Glover was Irish and really couldn't even speak English and really just spoke Irish uh, and had to like, yes. have a translator. Uh, well, that, that was like, I, I was going to mention like that's how she actually got sentenced to death. And I think maybe we could say that, like, you know, maybe not the best jurisprudence ever. They basically asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer. And um, I guess I don't know the way Hansen describes it is that she did start doing it. She did start saying, you know, the Pater Nostre, but then like couldn't get past like certain lines in it and like 
as hard as she tried, she couldn't bring herself to say these words. But if you look on Wikipedia, here we go through the looking glass, and it says, well, you know, um, she was seen as a scandalous old Irish woman, very poor, and a Roman Catholic, and obstinate in idolatry, which is, I guess, what Cotton Mather said about her. Um, but I think they're they're kind of doing a thing there where it sounds like, like they're saying that because she's a Catholic, she's like a devil worshiper, which maybe he, like Loki, had a bias against Catholics, but well, they're almost making it seem like a one-to-one. I think he's talking about all the magic he, she. Well, you he know, does say that she doing. couldn't recite her Paternoster. You know, well, yeah. Uh, she, though this website uh, she it said, said uh, she could not repeat it if she might have all the world. So it, well, like, exactly, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but of course, it's that it's written. She had some kind of like block or whatever happening. You know, that, that's what but, the yeah. impression I get from Hansen's book. But then when you read the summary on Wikipedia, it says, you know, at, at her trial, it was demanded of her to say the Lord's Prayer. She recited it in Irish and broken Latin, but was unable to say it in English. So. You know, and then there was a belief that an inability to recite the Lord's Prayer was the mark of a witch. And, um, you know, so that's kind of saying, like, oh, like, there they go again. There, you know, basically that because she couldn't speak English, she was declared, um, you know, guilty, even though that when, you know, uh, when Hansen describes it in more detail, the context of that is different. It's not simply, it sounds like they're just being like kind of like mean to like this Irish lady and mm-hmm. kind of saying, huh, well, you can't say it in English. <laughs> That's proof. And almost like in a very, you know, deliberately like mendacious kind of way, you know, um, like, uh, you know, finding a little trick to do that she can't, you know, attest yeah, that she but can't the investigation, pass. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the drowning thing or whatever, yeah. like, you know, but really there is like a whole thorough investigation and all this stuff. You know, suggesting that she practiced witchcraft was, like, discovered, including these dolls stuffed with, like, goat hair, um, you know, and, like, spittle being applied to them and things like that. Uh, You know, that's, like, kind of a lot in a way. Yeah. But, uh, and, um, yeah. And, and I think uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, she basically kind of, um, she, she gave many pronouncements that basically kind of implied that, yeah, like she implied that she was under some kind of pact where, like, she could not say the yeah, words. Yeah, she wasn't tortured or anything, right? But she no, still, no, I don't like, believe so. She still basically said that she served the devil. Uh, yes, and then called out that like because there's like a conspiracy of witches, uh, the the torment of these children will go on after my death. That doesn't sound like the words of a yeah, wrongly accused person. It doesn't. Like, regardless um, of whether or not you think she like actually affected those things on them, it sounds like she thought that she affected those things on them, um, or or was you know maybe cra- you know quote unquote crazy or something like that. I, I noticed here though um, this this Wikipedia article that's quite slanted um, kind of tells on themselves a little bit because they do admit that um, there are several statements as testaments as to her final words. Yeah. It even says here when she was taken out to be hanged, she said that her death would not relieve the children of their malady. There are several statements as to her final words. According to some, she said that the children would keep suffering because she was not the only witch to have afflicted them. But when asked to name the other witches, she refused. Another account says that Glover said that, that, that killing her would be useless because it was someone else who had bewitched the children. Either way, Anne Glover did believe in witches. Now, here's the important part. A Boston merchant who knew her 
Robert Califf said that, uh, quote, Goody Glover was a despised, crazy, poor old woman, an Irish Catholic who was tried for afflicting the Goodwin children. Her, be- her behavior at her trial was like that of one distracted. They did her cruel. The proof against her was wholly deficient. The jury brought her guilty. She was hung. She died a Catholic. <laughs> um, wow. Robert uh, Califf, what are you doing hanging out with Ann Glover? Hmm. Wow. What are you doing, man? Because as this guy we'll see, Catholic, because that would explain a lot. Like the way he said she died a Catholic, um, kind of made him seem like he. It says on his Wikipedia article that he might have attended a dissenting academy, um, which would make him a Protestant. But it was weird that he would be like, "She died a Catholic." She died a Catholic. Um, um and and so it's, it's like worth noting. I think maybe we've mentioned. I don't know if we mentioned him once or twice, but Robert Califf almost became the um, sort of like the Trotsky to like uh, uh, Colin Mather, Cotton Mather, Stalin in a way. Like, um, it, it, if one had not like ordered the, the assassination of the other um, right um, after these trials, the... because they they both lived for a while after that, and they basically it was Robert Califf who was a wealthy cloth merchant in Boston who kind of launched the first of a series of kind of diet of denunciations of the Salem witch trials and particularly had it out for Cotton Mather, who he was the actually, I think the first person to sort of put Cotton Mather at the heart of this uh, judicial conspiracy to wrongly uh, accuse people. We need people a heroic pro Cotton Mather Wikipedia editor to step up because the Robert Califf article is also very slanted. It says, Mather unsurprisingly refuses to directly address many particulars of Califf's book, but rather accused Califf of being a follower of Satan and uses select quotes from the Bible intended to put the merchant Califf in his place, including Ooh. Exodus 22:28, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Uh, but we read from his replies, and that's not the tone that he took with him. He was like, you're injured if humble servant, you know, like he Mm. was like, please, like, you know, let me provide a fuller account of like that's and like he gave all this testimony to what happened, like, you know, so there's an incredible slant anti uh, anti Mather slant in the yeah, Wikipedia no, articles. The the lies uh, yes. the lies of the Calif the Califites. Uh, yes, basically. Wow, talk, talk about a real Khalif or an evil Khalif, uh, probably in league <laughs> in league with ISIS. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that uh, Cotton Mather was a little bit of an Islamophobe because uh, he did uh, he was kind of he was an educated person and he did say that. Uh, one of the uh, books that was observed, like the devil's book observed in one of these incidents, I think actually in the rule case, he said that it bore like a certain resemblance to uh, the Quran. Um, so, you know, he was a bit of a, an, an Islamophobe there. You know, this is, I guess, maybe a common thing in some of these witch uh, uh, things where there's sort of like, a, and I even, even going back to the Templars, there's sort of little mm. intimations of, of Islam. I read uh, Ginsburg's book, Carlo Ginsburg's book, uh, Ecstasies, Deciphering the Witch's Sabbath, and he mm-hmm. kind of points back to, like, a um, a case, like, early on, like, in the uh, 13th, uh, oh, over the 14th century, of, like, you know, some accusations against uh, some lepers and Jews of sort of poisoning uh, people, and, like, uh, that it was all, like, a plot by uh, you know, the the leader of the, the famous assassins, the, the Hashashin, or, uh, you know, maybe of some other, they were always, like, a, described as some Muslim sovereign. So he kind of makes a connection between the ascription to Satan and the ascription to these different uh, Muslim sovereigns. And, of course, there's, like, the Baphomet connection. So there's interesting stuff uh, mm-hmm. going on there. But, oh, I wanted to uh, add to... Uh, 
this that it's interesting though that uh, Glover was Irish because I read another book uh, by uh, Maeve Bridget uh, Callan called The Templars, The Witch, and the Wild Irish, mm-hmm. uh, which touches on the, the Witch of Kilkenny, um, okay. who I guess was named uh, Irish uh, Alice Keitler. Uh, I think Alice was her first name. Yeah, uh, Alice uh, Kittler. I hope okay. I'm pronouncing that right also. But uh, she kind of pointed to this case as the one in which like the the new image uh, the new image of the witch began to emerge she hmm. talked about how like uh, uh this was the first time that there was like um, sex magic involved yeah like um you know significant elements in the history of the prosecution of push and rickett emerged in this trial an identification of sorcery and natural magic with demonic magic an identification of magic with heresy the witch's sabbath a pact between a demon and a witch in which sex and money were exchanged a group of 12 witches who, together with their demon, Robert, or Robin, son of Art, form the number for a coven, torture, and death at the stake. So, yeah, it's interesting that that kind of happened uh, in Ireland and was sort of merged in with the prosecution of heresy in Ireland, uh, you know, also by often, like, you know, some of these, uh, these I guess they would have been, you know, Catholic authorities at the time, but... Mm-hmm. They would be persecuting kind of like, it's interesting because a lot of like uh, Waldensians were a common sort of uh, heresy that people were concerned about like early on. And uh, yeah, like and a lot what of, was the, sort of witchcraft oh, stuff. They were like sort of a proto-Protestant group, uh, you know, that were like a very big like, uh, a, like her- heretic problem for Catholics early on. Um, and uh, gotcha. yeah, they kind of like, uh, you know, so a lot of the persecution of witches sort of uh interacted with that persecution and like waldensians were seen to like you know maybe go to worship he goats and things like that but anyway Mm. yeah so in this trial like some of those things took shape uh for the first time uh the like sort of judge or the the prosecutor or the inquisitor in this in this matter some dude uh who was named like richard de lidrid and uh yeah this was in like the 14th century and, uh, you know, he was, like, a big, like, Marian uh, Catholic. But, you know, he was sort of knowledgeable of ritual magic. And he kind of did that same thing where, like, all the accusations against the Witch of Kilkenny were coming from, like, the lay people and, uh, you know, people in her community, um, mm. you know, because she had, like, multiple marriages, stuff like that, you know. And the They're author kind of leaves yeah, it open. The, interesting. the author kind of so the, leaves it open whether like she actually did any witchcraft or anything. Like, cause you know she might have used natural magic. She might have been making potions, things like that. But yeah, there definitely was that aspect. But she does uh, point out that allegedly, like you know, one third of her coven, once it was finally named, was supposed to comprise men. Uh, there is one interesting quote uh, that is from uh, Kykefer. Um, that she, she quotes in this book, the, the author, insofar as necromancers, which were like a real phenomenon of like kind of elite magicians and alchemists who would, you know, mm-hmm. practice necromancy, contributed to the, pos- the plausibility of claims about witches, they bear indirect responsibility for the rise of European witch trials in the 15th and following centuries. To the extent that these early witch trials focused on female victims, they thus provided a particularly tragic case of women being blamed and punished for the misconduct of men. Women who were not invoking demons could more easily be thought to do so at a time when certain men were in fact so doing. Oh, um, okay. So okay. yeah, and the influence cool. of necromancers at the papal court shaped the attitude of this guy. Um, you know, and uh, he expected kind of these things 
Uh, yeah. You know, like uh, among, uh, like uh, he said, there was even possibly witchcraft among uh, the Anglo-Irish religious. Uh, oh, so wow. he was, you know, and uh, yeah, Master Peter de Arden, well known to all contemporary clerics of Ireland, was friends with the Spanish necromancer. So, uh, you know, wow. some of the stuff, and this was kind of on the heels of the Templar stuff, so all that yeah. kind of bore an influence. They came upon her like a host and bade her speak and tell why she had sworn a wicked oath to serve the powers of hell. Speak up, speak up, they hoarsely cry, the minister did swear. He cursed her with a heavy curse, no mortal man may bear. Thou hast bewitched us, cried they all, and carried her away in chains of iron day and night in salem jail she lay until at last the door stood wide they led her then abroad by many an old familiar place her trembling footsteps trod. Maybe it'd be good to talk for a sec about uh, one of the people. There are a lot of people that were sentenced to death and accused <laughs> in the Salem Witch Trials, but... Most um, of them probably innocent. Probably innocent, uh, but, but there, but there know. is one. There is one individual. Well, there's two, but okay, there's two. one especially, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, there's a little bit more than two. It's pro- probable, like that guy Burroughs, you know. Uh, oh who yeah. Would boast of his occult powers at times, but uh, we want to talk about Bridget Bishop, mm-hmm. um, who. Actually, you know, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but, I mean, you've mentioned that you live in California, so I'll mention that I live in Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. I've actually been to Salem many times, which is now, like, kind of a weird, you know, tourist trap, like, type, weird, like, place. It's especially crazy around Halloween, and they have, like, a lot of, like, uh, you know, historical, like, uh, and pseudo-historical little things you can visit, like, uh, and they have, like, haunted houses and stuff, and, like, all these, like, little goofy things, and, like, ghost tours and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, one of the, uh, more, like, historical or historically oriented one is this play that they do, uh, that's, like, you know, top of the list of all, like, the Visitor's Guide to Salem, uh, all Visitor's Guides to Salem, it's uh, called Cry Innocent, Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically like a dramatic reenactment of the trial of Bridget Bishop. Um, and, you know, you like in the audience, like play the jurors or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And you get to like, you know, vote to, you know, convict or let her off. And I feel like probably most people like most of the time people like vote to, to let her off. One time I did go 
And, uh, you know, uh, I was just like, whenever she would talk, I'd just be like, <coughs> witch! Uh, and, we, <laughs> and we ended up kind of uh, convicting her. I felt a little bit bad about it, uh, you know, mm. but uh, now that I read uh, Witchcraft at Salem, uh, I'm thinking maybe uh, my instincts Bridget are correct. Bridget Bishop. Uh, I mean... She... You know, it's because in the play they kind of predict, like you know, kind of portray her as like being like a like a nasty, you know, a nasty woman, like in the Hillary sense, you know, <laughs> of like. But yeah. at the same time, like, and you you kind of forget the context in a way, like, you know, she's just being like loud and obnoxious and like kind of like you know, brazen to like her accusers and like defiant. But it's like, in the context of like the 17th century, like you've just been accused of a serious crime. Like, why are you acting like this? Like, just chill out a little bit, and, like, maybe mm -hmm. you'll get off. Like, why are you being, well, you know, like, it's, I don't mean to victim blame someone who, <laughs> like, you know, got executed for witchcraft, but it is a little bit weird. And uh, she, uh, there's some evidence uh, to suggest that maybe, uh, in addition to that, yeah. she might have been uh, consulting yeah. with a certain <clears throat> can uh, I, old Nick. Yes, can I, uh, yeah, can I, yeah, I, I see, uh, let's see, was that... Was that actually uh, Abigail Hobbs who uh, mentioned? Yeah, they, they were kind of I don't know in uh, a grouping, an examination on April nineteenth was Giles Corey, Abigail Hobbs, and Bridget Bishop. Um, and Abigail Hobbs is a wild and irreverent young girl who on one occasion had parodied the sacrament of baptism by sprinkling water on her mother and pronouncing the words of baptism over her, and she had cultivated the reputation of a witch. When Lydia Nichols had asked her, quote, how she durst lie out of nights in the woods alone, uh, Abigail replied that, quote, she was not afraid of anything, for she had sold herself body and soul to the old boy. On another occasion, she had told Lydia to hold her tongue or she would, quote, raise all the folks thereabouts and told her to look, quote, there was old Nick over the bedstead. So, you know, there is a, let's see. Uh, not her to be confused with Abigail Williams. Not uh, to be confused with Abigail Williams, yeah. yeah. Lots of Abigails, lots of uh, goody this, goody that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Bridget Bishop, uh, Hanson writes that she was in all probability a practicing witch. She mm -hmm. had a long-standing reputation for witchcraft. It was rumors that she had bewitched her first husband, a goodman Wasselby, to death. In 1679-80, during her second marriage, she had been brought before the Court of Assistance for Witchcraft. The records of that trial do not survive, but it is probable that a major factor in her release at the time was the good opinion of her clergyman, John Hale of Beverly, who was then hoping better of Goody Bishop than others in the community. But Hale changed his mind by 1692... So she already been convicted of witchcraft and got off. Maybe that's why she was so uh, accused. Brazen. Yeah, yeah, uh, or yeah, accused of witchcraft and got off. Maybe that's why she was so brazen because she thought she would get away with it um, at uh, another time. But uh, yeah, well, her famous line: "She had the malice requisite to the craft." Hanson says during her examination, when Hawthorne used the bullying techniques he had used on others, she startled him with an open threat: "If I were any such person," she told him, "you should know it." i.e. she would make him know it like you know she would use uh witchcraft uh, upon him mm -hmm. um 
It's also worth noting that her present husband, circa 1692, Edward Bishop, had uh, was one of the people accusing her of witchcraft. And yeah. two women also testified um, that the husband had said that, quote, the devil did come bodily unto her and that she was familiar with the devil and that she sat up all night long with the devil. And uh, I guess that she was uh, well aware of her own reputation. And I guess two men also testified that being employed by Bridget Bishop, alias Oliver of Salem, to help take down the cellar wall of the old house they for- she formerly lived in, we, the said deponents, in holes in the old wall belonging to the said cellar, found several puppets made up of rags and hogs bristles with headless pins in them with the points outward. And so I think, to correct earlier, I think I had said that uh, the Irish woman, what was her name? Oh, she also did. She also Okay, did. they both did. Okay, so, yeah, uh, okay, well, yeah. so common practice. Um, yeah, and, this uh, one has hogs, but uh, Glover's had uh, goat's hair. Yeah, uh, and so Hanson goes on to... Damning, yeah, Hanson <laughs> goes on to sort of explain the doll with pins in it is the classic charm of black magic and burying it in a wall is still a technique of witches such charms have been found in the walls of rural english cottages in the 20th century to be sure the evidence was circumstantial nobody had seen bridget bishop stick the pins in the dolls or bury them in the walls but she could according to cotton mather give no account of them to the court quote that was reasonable or tolerable uh, tolerable coupled with the other testimony against her that concerning the dolls was extremely incriminating it would have uh that was extremely uh <clears throat> the the evidence concerning the dolls is extremely incriminating and it would have been quite enough he notes to get her hanged in 17th century england or burned in scotland or on the continent and says yes it is probable that bridget bishop was indeed a practicing witch uh yes, so uh, you know i mean that's like a lot of people saying that yeah the other thing is that there was a quaker guy who said that she uh, bought from him a lot of pieces of lace, some of which were so short that I could not judge them fit for any use. Um, And up him, you know, the famous historian who is still consulted by uh, many uh, atheists, or at least by at least (laughs) one atheist blog that I found, and, uh, Uh you know, who's an influential historian of the trials. Um, He interpreted this to mean that uh, Bridget Bishop was wearing clothing of a style incomprehensible to a simple Quaker, and later writers have followed him in this interpretation, coupling it with the fact that Bridget Bishop often wore a red paragon bodice, and leaving the impression that she dressed in a higher or more flashy fashion the community thought proper. That's something that is in Cry Innocent, that, you know, she's uh, wearing this sort of uh, flashy outfit, and so that's, like, you know, kind of implied. Uh, But red was not an unusual color for clothing in 17th century New England. That's another thing, like, people kind of, like, picture, like, these, like, Thanksgiving, like, uh, pilgrims, like, with the buckles on their hats. Like, they were, no, that was not how people dressed uh, in uh, Plymouth Colony or, like, in Salem. Like, they dressed, you know, kind of normal for the time, obviously. Um, But red was not an unusual color for clothing in 17th century New England, and Shattuck said nothing about the cut of the laces she bought him for dyeing. He said the pieces were too small to be of any use. If Bridget Bishop had been dressing extravagantly, wouldn't her laces have been larger than usual? It would seem that what Shattuck meant was that the pieces of lace were too small to be worn by a human being, Mm -hmm. but they would not have been too small for dressing a witch's doll, which is often clothed in the same material and colors as the clothing worn by the victim. Mm -hmm. So basically the, like, the reading is that, like, oh, you know, he was upset because she was getting, you know, like a crop top or, you know, like some (laughs) slutty, but, like, he meant they were really small for, like, a doll. 
to put on a doll, you know? That, yeah, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So give these guys yeah. a little bit of credit. It wasn't yeah, all yeah, yeah. just like she's. A and solo. also, I don't think that like you know, uh, I like I don't think that he would have assumed. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like he would have assumed that she was gonna wear, or that she even would. Like she, you know, like I just think it wouldn't have occurred to anyone to like be like shoving off their shoulders or whatever like that i'm sure that would have been mentioned in the trials too if she had yeah uh, absolutely because you know, it, it like, wasn't necessarily okay but that that wasn't quite the substance of why no, people wasn't. were sussed out by this no they were sussed out by finding a bunch of poppets like in her walls that she couldn't explain uh you know and mm-hmm. by her like you know uh threatening people and like uh you know having an established reputation for practicing witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, exactly. uh, so, eh, you know, eh, there's that, uh, there, um, there, maybe we, should we talk about another person who, uh, in the, in the opinion of Hansen, uh, clearly practiced witchcraft, uh, which is Wilmot Mammy Red. Uh, yes, we definitely should talk about, uh, old Mammy Red of, uh, Marblehead, but, we should also note that the same Quaker guy um, was apparently, like, uh, after, like, a, uh, ex- a dispute, a commercial dispute involving, like, some cider, um, like, uh, she scratched the face of Shattuck's son, uh, the Quaker guy. The child hath since then been followed with grievous fits as if he would never recover more. His head and eyes drawn aside as if he... Uh, if they would never come to rights more, as if they would never come to rights more, lying as if he were in a manner dead, falling anywhere, either into fire or water, if he be not constantly looked to, and generally in such an uneasy and restless frame, almost always running to and fro, acting so strange that I cannot judge otherwise but that he is bewitched, and by these circumstances do believe that the aforesaid Bridget Oliver, now called Bishop, is the cause of it, and it has been the judgment of doctors that he is under an evil hand of witchcraft. Uh, Hanson notes, notice again how willing the medical profession was to diagnose witchcraft. So, you know, just mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, there were many other people who were terrified of her um, and had hysterical hallucinations as a result of their terror. Um, Roger Corman testified that about eight years before, he had been in bed with his wife with a light burning in the room. I, being awake, to then see Bridget Bishop of Salem come into the room we lay in and two women more with her, which two women were strangers to me. I knew them not, but Bishop came in in her red paragon bodice and the rest of her clothing, which she then usually did wear. And quickly after they appeared, the uh, light was out and the curtains at the foot of the bed opened where I did see her. And presently she came and lay upon my breast and body and so oppressed me that I could not speak nor stir. No, not so much as to awake my wife, although I endeavored much so to do it. This is kind of like an old hag sort of like sleep paralysis thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next night they all appeared again in like manner and the said bishop, alias Oliver, took hold of me by the throat and I almost hauled me out of the bed. The Saturday night following, I have been that day telling of what I had seen and how I suffered two nights before. My kinsman, William Coman, told me he would stay with me and lodge with me and see if they would come again and advised me to lay my sword athwart my body. So that was supposed to... Like, uh, it's like a sort of uh, cross shape. So that's the idea. Like, it's going to repel them with the cross. Quickly after he went to bed that said night, both well awake and discoursing together, in came all the three women again and said Bishop was the first as she had been the two other nights. Uh, I, so I told him, William, here they be, I'll come again. And he was immediately struck speechless and could not move hand or foot. And immediately they got hold of my sword and strived to take it from me, but I held so fast they did not get it away. And then I had liberty of speech and called William, also my wife, and Sarah Phillips that lay with my wife. 
who all told me afterwards they heard me, but had not the power to speak or stir. And the first that spake was Sarah Phillips, and said, In the name of God, Goodman, come, and what is the matter with you? So they all vanished away. Hmm. Very hmm. Uh, similar to, like, an alien abduction type thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. With a sort of paralysis. But, yeah, anyway, so... Uh, there was also the death of a child uh, that was ascribed to her. Um, and uh, Hansen uh, even says that the death of the child cannot be explained on national, natural grounds except by suggesting that there was something wrong with it quite unrelated to its father's experience. Uh, the issue is that, um, like, uh, Samuel Gray, 14 years before that, awoke to see a woman standing beside the cradle in the room and the bedside, and she seemed to look upon him. So he did rise up in his bed, and it vanished. Then he went to the door and found it locked. And unlocking and opening the door, he went to the entry door and looked out. And then again to see the same woman he had a little before seen in the room, and the same guard she was in before. Then he said to her, in the name of God, what do you come for? Then she vanished away. So he locked the door again and went to bed. And between sleeping and waking, he felt something come to his mouth or lips, cold, and thereupon started and looked up. And again did see the same woman with something between both her hands, holding it before his mouth. Upon which she moved, and the child in the cradle gave a great screech out, as if it was greatly hurt, and she disappeared. And taking the child up, he could not quiet it for some hours. From which time the child, that before was very likely, uh, very was a very likely thriving child, did pine away and was never well. Mm. Although it lived some months after, yet in a sad condition, and so died. Sometime after, within a week or less, he did see the same woman in the same garb or clothes that appeared to him as aforesaid, although he knew her, uh, knew not her nor her name before. Yet both by her garb and countenance doth testify that it was the same woman they now call Bridget Bishop, alias Oliver of Salem. So yeah, Hansen wow. also says that it's hard to explain how he had hallucinations of her before he knew her. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so it's, yeah, and there's uh, many other like sort of incidents like that. Uh, this is a, a kind of an interesting one, though, which involves kind of like a, a familiar uh, spirit, which um, so it's a similar encounter. Uh, my mistress told uh, said Bridget that I had said or affirmed that she came one night and sat upon my breast as aforesaid, which she denied, and I affirmed to her face to be true, and that I did plainly see her, upon which discourse with her she threatened me. And sometime after that, I, not being very well, stayed at home on a Lord's Day, and on the afternoon of said day, uh, the doors being shut, I did see a black pig in the room coming towards me. So I went towards to kick it, and it vanished away. Um, I immediately, immediately after I sat down, did see a black thing jump into the window, and it came and stood just before my face, the body of it looked like a monkey, only the feet were had cock's feet with claws, and the face somewhat more like a man's than a monkey's. And I, being greatly affrighted, not being able to speak or help myself by reason of fear, I suppose, so the thing spoke to me and said, I am a messenger sent to you, for I understand you are troubled in mind, and if you will be ruled by me, you shall want for nothing in this world. Upon which I endeavored to clap my hands upon it and said, You devil, I will kill you. But I could feel no substance. And it jumped out of the window again and immediately came in by the porch, although the doors were shut and said, You had better take my counsel, whereupon I struck at it with a stick, but struck the ground sill, and broke the stick, and felt no substance, and that arm with which I struck was presently disenabled. Then it vanished away, and I opened the back door and went out, and going towards the house, and I espied said Bridget Bishop in her orchard, going towards her house, and seeing her had no power to set one foot forward, but returned in again. 
Wow. Um, so she just so, happens to be kind uh, of hanging out. Yeah, just well, yeah, just <clears throat> when an uh, evil monkey with the feet of a cock um, and the that face of a man is uh, kind of said, terrifying. I will give you everything in this world if you serve me, wow. uh, jumped wow. into her house. Yeah, Hansen, like, is, you know, he makes the point that, like, because they are uh, incorporeal, you know, he, uh, they have no substance that, you know, is consistent with the idea that these are, like, hallucinations, you know, so. Oh, we be maids of Essex, for your lads have died, while bloody brook still ripples by the mountainside. Never shall they come again to see the ocean tide, and never shall a bridegroom return unto his bride. To bring the grain from Deerfield, they started on their way with Lathrop as their leader upon that sunny day. Returning now they rested, their beasts began to tire when deadly Indian muskets blazed out in murderous fire. I want to just jump back real quick to like the uh, the catalyst event that like started all of this in 1692 because I think it's also an interesting uh, kind of case study in kind of the relationship these people had to mm-hmm. both like white magic and black magic. So right. it, it started when Reverend Samuel Paris, uh, several of his children started to become afflicted with this kind of strange, uh, you know, malady and uh, a lot of the things we described before. Um, But but Hansen writes, uh, the trouble... uh, <clears throat> the trouble, according to Reverend John Hale, could be traced back to experiments made with the occult. And Hale writes, I fear some, some young persons, through a vain curiosity to know their future condition, have tampered with the devil's tools so far that hereby one door was opened to Satan to play those pranks, Anno 1692. I knew one of the afflicted persons who, as I was credibly informed, did try with an egg and a glass to find her future husband's calling, i.e. occupation, till there came up a coffin that is a specter in the likeness of a coffin and she was afterwards followed with diabolical molestation to her death and so died a single person a just warning to others to take heed of handling the devil's weapons lest they get a wound thereby another i was called to pray with being under sore fits and vexations of satan and upon examination i found that she had tried the same charm And after her confession of it and manifestation of repentance for it and our prayers to God for her, she was speedily released from those bonds of Satan. And Hansen writes that the egg and glass is a method of divining similar to crystal gazing. The white of an egg poured into a glass being substituted for the fortune teller's 
crystal ball. Little girls still play at divining their future husband's occupation using a variety of methods, including the old rhyme, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. It is quite innocent in the 20th century, but it was anything but innocent for the two 17th century girls who believed they conjured up a specter in the shape of a coffin. It is no wonder they began to display hysterical symptoms and that one of them was, quote, followed with diabolical molestations to her death. Um, and so it started, um, you know, basically with this like kind oh, yeah, of little like Ouija board prank. Yeah, and the one who died is supposed to be Abigail, like probably yeah, so Abigail. Well, this is a caught, caught again, Miller. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Gail does not name the children, but the one who is cured is most probably Elizabeth Paris, the minister's uh, nine-year-old daughter. She disappeared from Salem Village late in March when her father sent her to the household of Stephen Seawall in Salem Town, possibly because fits were known to be communicable, and he wanted her removed from contact with those who were still having them. The other girl was probably Paris's eleven-year-old niece, Abigail Williams although we have no way of being sure there's very little information about the later lives of the afflicted girls tradition has it they were assisted in their occult experiments by Tituba a slave woman Paris had brought to New England from Barbados where he had been a merchant before becoming a clergyman Tituba like her husband John was a Carib Indian not a Negro he adds and although the egg and glasses and depicted in... again caught again Miller uh, yeah caught again know, Miller like kind of and, yeah. yeah pulling a little you know race blind Hamilton uh, action mm, there. Okay. And although the egg and glass is an English rather than an Indian method of divining, she wa- may well have been involved from the beginning. Certainly she would have often have been charged with the care of the children, and certainly she was soon involved in another occult experiment. In any case, the two girls were very sick. So were several of their friends who had also presumably been experimenting with the occult. Um, and yeah, there are Anne Putnam, Mary Warren, Mercy Lewis, Mary Wolcott, and Elizabeth Hubbard, all kind of between like 12 and 17. Paris took them to various doctors, but they grew steadily worse. When Dr. Griggs made his diagnosis of witchcraft, Paris apparently <laughs> did not at first accept it. He simply continued the prayer and fasting, which he hoped would cure the girls. If the minister was not anxious to believe the children were bewitched, the neighbors were. They began to ask the girls who was afflicting them, but at first they were unable to answer. It was then that Mary Sibley, the aunt of Mary Wolcott, turned to white magic to break the witch's spell. On February 25th, she went to the minister's Indian slaves, John and Tituba, and had them prepare a witch cake from a traditional English recipe, meal mixed with the children's urine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was baked in the fire and then fed to the Paris dog, presumably on the theory that the animal was a familiar, a messenger assigned to a witch by the devil. Now, this is interesting. The minister was appalled when he discovered a month later what had been done. Mary Sibley's witch cake was, as Paris put it, a going to the devil for help against the devil. He lectured her privately about it and before the entire congregation called her, quote, to deep humiliation for what she has done. She acknowledged her sinfulness in tears, but it was far too late. The witch cake had been baked and by it, as Paris said, quote, the devil hath been raised among us and his rage is vehement and terrible. And when he shall, when shall, he shall be silenced, the Lord only knows because the witch cake worked another instance of the efficacy of magic in a society which believes in it now the girls were able to name their afflictors tatuba herself and sarah good and sarah osborne two old women of dubious reputation when these names were known four yeomen of uh, salem village in the county of essex joseph hutchinson thomas putnam edward putnam and thomas preston appeared before their magistrates and swore out warrants for the suspicion of witchcraft and uh those three accused 
accused women were examined by uh, two Salem magistrates, John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin, and uh, the accused women did not make a very good showing. Sarah Good behaved with all the malice and deceit one could expect of a witch. When she was asked who who it was afflicted the children if she did not, she was quite willing to accuse her fellow prisoner Sarah Osborne. Her husband, William, testified, quote, he was afraid that, that... she either was a witch or would be one very quickly. When Hawthorne adds, I love how like all these like spouses are like ratting on each other. It's yeah. kind of amazing. When Hawthorne asked if he had any concrete evidence of her practicing witchcraft, he replied that he had not. He thought her a witch for her quote her for her bad carriage to him. Indeed, said he, <laughs> I may say with tears that she is an enemy to all good. Uh, besides this unintentional pun, because her name is good, uh, he offered the information that he had seen, quote, a strange tit or wart on his wife's body, the implication being that this was a so-called witch's tit at which the devil and his familiars sucked the blood of the witch. Um, and this is this is kind of amazing, too. Her four-year-old daughter, Dorcas, uh, or Dorsus, uh, Dorcas feels like a mean, a mean name for a little kid, uh, also testified against her, announcing that her mother had familiars. Quote, three birds, one black, one yellow, and these birds hurt the children and afflicted persons. So, you know, I mean, uh, 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 John Hawthorne, yeah. I think. A little bit uh, get into McMartin territory there with, like, the very young kid, like, just saying some stuff about animals. But, eh, never know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, this is also, I, I just want to read this one more thing because it's important about, like, the effect of these initial kind of, um, you know, testimonies and stuff, like, by the court that in, <clears throat> impacted people's, like, belief was um, another uh, precedent was set at this examination when Hawthorne asked the children to look at Sarah Good and say whether she was one who afflicted them. They accused her to her face, upon which they were all dreadfully tortured and tormented for a short space of time. When they recovered from their fits, they charged her with causing them, saying that her specter had come and tormented them, although her body remained, quote, at a considerable distance from them. This was spectral evidence, that is, evidence concerning a specter or apparition of the accused rather than her bodily person. It was eventually to become the central legal issue of the trials, but at the moment, we need only see why it seemed initially so convincing to the examining magistrates. Here were girls afflicted with violent physical symptoms which had no known physical cause— but which a physician had attributed to witchcraft. Eh, we trust science. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a malicious old woman accused of causing them. When the sufferers accused her, they were immediately thrown into convulsions. What could be more plausible than that the convulsions were inflicted as revenge for the accusation? Yet such behavior was still unfamiliar enough in Salem so that one of the recorders noted that, quote, none here sees the specters of the witches but the afflicted and themselves. Certainly Hawthorne was convinced. When the children had recovered and repeated their accusation, he turned to the woman. Sarah Good, do you not see now what you have done? Why do you not tell us the truth? Why do you thus torment these poor children? She said, I do not torment them. He said, who do you employ then? She said, I employ nobody. I scorn it. And, um... I, you know, I mean, uh, oh, this is funny. Like, a part of Hawthorne's bullying may have been a result of Sarah Good's evasiveness, a sample of which remains on record. She was known to go muttering away from people's houses. And when Hawthorne asked her what she muttered, she answered, If I must tell, I will tell. Um, and she says, It is the commandments. I may say my commandments, I hope. And uh, Hawthorne asked, What commandment is it? She says, If I must tell, I will tell. It is a psalm. 
what psalm? She hesitated. Then, after a long time, she muttered over some part of a psalm. Almost any 17th century person hearing such an exchange would infer, perhaps not without reason, that Sarah Good was lying, that what she actually muttered as she left her neighbor's houses were curses. And, uh, you know, certainly that was, uh, yeah, that was the accusation against, uh, uh, Wilmot Red, AKA, uh, Mammy Red, uh, or old Mammy Red of Marblehead of the, uh, of the song, um, yes. uh, that she, uh, got into like a, a fight and, uh, sort of had cursed, um, a woman or, uh, yeah, I think that it was, uh, a woman, it was, uh, Mrs., sims i want to say mm-hmm. uh i need to find the the relevant uh passage but yeah basically she said like you know would that you would never be able to uh urinate or uh defecate yes um yeah it was uh mrs sims like uh mm-hmm. basically uh like um she like uh she her maid stole some linen or something and the quarrel grew so hot that mrs sims threatened to swear out a warrant against the maid upon which mammy red pronounced a curse two witnesses swore to the substance of the curse which was that mrs sims might never urinate or defecate until she let her alone and sure enough mrs sims was shortly taken with his temper of the dry belly ache and so continued many months until she left the area uh so yeah uh and that was basically what the curse was that uh convicted uh old mammy red yeah so you know um, people yeah. the, there were some strange things going on here mm-hmm. um yeah. there was also a big a big thing that didn't bode well for sarah good was uh there was <clears throat> there was a death of a cow uh around that time which perished in a sudden terrible and strange unusual manner and um, <clears throat> Hansen says that such testimony was common in witchcraft cases, and it has caused much unseemly hilarity among modern historians. I think this is a good point here. Is it likely, they have asked, that his satanic majesty the devil or any of his minions would stoop to concern themselves with the fate of a New England cow? Owned with facts and logic. Um, mm-hmm. The answer is that nothing is more likely. <laughs> I, like, I like that he's sticking to this. What yeah. else would a fertility god, like, you know, Baphomet, whatever, concern himself mm. with but the health or sickness of crops, of animals, and of humans? From the standpoint of a society that still remembered who the devil was, no testimony could be more relevant. As a matter of fact, the village witches who still exist in rural England are often expert in folk medicines, human and animal, as well as charms, and until recently, any of them were midwives so you know yeah i think that's an important point that like <laughs> like like uh yeah. it's it, it almost reminds me of like whenever you find a kind of really far out like cia conspiracy or something and the the normie heads are just kind of like oh you think like the cia was like involved they were like caught up in the cold war you really think they took the time to like go down to golden gate park and pass out lsd <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like something like that or uh mm-hmm. you know like they had better things to do than worry about like making sure that college kids took out and it's like okay it betrays a kind of fundamental misunderstanding I guess first that uh, I don't know nebulous forces can kind of be in multiple places at the same time. I mean it it's way more true when you're talking about like a metaphysical force that like why wouldn't the devil like you know what I mean like like I, it, it's even like yeah. cosmologically well, just in the realm of the spiritual like why would a historian I don't know it, it seems yeah, very kind like, of um and also like it uh you know this is I like uh Hansen's explanation of the fertility aspect better but 
also like they definitely well like you know cotton mather writes in his wonders of the invisible world you know that this was like a very important mission that they had in the new world you know because uh-huh. previously the devil had completely ruled america you know mm. so uh and this was like a shining light like a new jerusalem you know yep. zion that mm-hmm. was like this mission in the uttermost parts of the of the earth so of course you know bringing them down like they were under like the ultimate attack and his argument also was that god let the devil do this stuff when he was upset so <laughs> like you know when they slipped from what they were supposed to be doing that's when like the devil could be allowed to be unleashed upon them mm. uh so you know uh yeah yeah that's I, also, I, yeah I think, I, I, uh, a, a aspect or an explanation of the the reason for their targeting uh yeah, yeah. It it but it, it definitely it rings true that you would even see like kind of I don't know, yeah, esteemed historians kind of like chuckling at the idea that anybody could be so religious that they would believe <laughs> that this the devil would like concern himself with like little old me you know little old yes. salem and, and stuff the like same that thing as being like you know in this vast universe i'm supposed to believe that god cares about like this li- like you know my life and it's like well yeah we're talking about a being that like can pay infinite attention to anything at any given time exactly so exactly. like it's not like you know it can has to divide it's the same thing of being like if i were god i would do a better job like well yeah, you're not yeah. god you're a fucking human being when there's no comparison between the two so yeah there isn't foolish, just, and just like on a, cheap, a kind of conceptual like, you know, level it's not the point. same yeah it's like uh, it's intellectually unserious point yeah for sure Exactly, um, but it gets it gets like, you know like people. It's one of those uh, you know intellectually indefensible points that people can make, and it plays well. Yeah, I think um, more often than not, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. Speaking of such scholars, one of the like somewhat more recent uh, influential uh, some years, a couple years after Hansen's, one of a very influential take on. Uh, witch hunt histories in general is kind of a genealogy of the impulses similar to the vein of uh someone like ginsburg or uh callan who i mentioned uh this guy is a norman Cohn, and he wrote a europe's inner demons uh, Mm -hmm. and it's about like kind of what the causes were of the great witch hunt and even he acknowledges that there were people you know he's very skeptical about like the idea of witches or any society of witches you know he's more in line with a standard view but even he does acknowledge that there were people who did you know try to like hex their neighbors and who practiced witchcraft like at you know in in these times mm-hmm. um you know and uh he comes up with a very like interesting kind of i mean it's interesting in its own right uh you know you can definitely take issue uh with it but he's talking about the common theme of uh cannibalistic infanticide you know something that's part of which uh, accusations and also you know part of the story of chronos which we've talked about before on the mm-hmm. podcast you mm-hmm. know hansel and gretel uh you know cannibal giants etc so he says all these tales are inspired by the same preoccupation chronos and tantalus are fathers intent on destroying their offspring the wicked queen the hag the giant and the giantess too are adults who try to destroy children but in the end are destroyed by them. Talking about, you know, fairy tales. The common mm-hmm. theme is generational conflict between those who at present hold power and those who are destined to inherit it. And the means by which the adults try to retain power is precisely cannibalistic infanticide. 
This surely sh throws a new light on our problem. We have already seen that cannibalistic infanticide belongs both to the traditional stereotype of the heretical sect and to the traditional stereotype of the witch, and that for that very reason it was relatively easy, given the appropriate circumstances, to combine the two notions. We can probe deeper now. It seems plain that both stereotypes draw on one and the same archaic fantasy. Psychoanalysts would maintain that the unconscious roots of this fantasy lie in infancy or early childhood. Psychoanalysts of the Kleinian school would argue more specifically that infants in the first two years of life experience cannibalistic impulses, which they project onto their parents, and that the source of the fantasy lies there. Other psychoanalysts would advance different interpretations. It has been argued that many parents really do harbor unconscious cannibalistic impulses towards their children, and that children are sublim subliminally aware of the fact. It has also been argued that children themselves can harbor unconscious cannibalistic impulses toward a younger sibling. Uh, the baby brother or sister who they see as an interloper or potential rival. So that's an explanation Ooh. for the idea. Yeah, okay. uh, a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. So coming in that's hot there. That's an interesting <laughs> interpretation. And like, is that really less of a leap than the idea that maybe people have tried to eat babies? Like, you know, so, but uh, well, exactly. I mean, like, honestly, you know, like, uh, that that brings me to something really quickly that uh, I think people were discussing this in the the uh, subliminal jaw discord i don't think we mentioned in the episode yet but that stuff about freud that uh somebody was posting last week on on twitter oh and yeah basically the idea that um initially when freud started his practice and he was dealing with neurotic uh patients who were suffering from these various like nervous disorders his first kind of line of inquiry his first kind of hypothesis was that and these were mostly the children of like wealthy families right in yeah. vienna and his yeah, first yeah. In, his first inclination is that there was like widespread child early child abuse going on in a lot of these families and i think even postulated kind of a like sometimes occurring in a like a ritualistic format that then you know embedded itself in the subconscious and then you know was triggered you know later on in development and basically caused like psychosis but then when he started advancing this he got like really heavy like violent pushback from the rest of like the scientific community and he eventually reversed himself and then came up with what became kind of something similar to what you just read yeah, the exactly. Oedipal complex of like of our subconscious cannibalistic impulses. Yeah, where like, like parents I mean, and babies all want to like have sex with and like, eat each other. I could other. just eat you up, or like I guess that's something that people say, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think that I'm going to stand by, <laughs> I'm going to stand by, like I think Freud was right the first time. And um, it actually, if you think about it, his, his initial theory about like kind of um, widespread like child abuse going on. Um, or, like, you know, sexual abuse or, like, you know, incest, things like that, especially among, like, wealthy and powerful people, which we already said that the kind of magistrates and reverends in New England were kind of more focused on was the idea of, like, people in high places in an organized fashion doing this rather than just, like, some old crone out by the, you know, the edge of town. Yeah. Um, it kind of syncs up more with the, you know, the the sort of paranoid theories of the prosecutors yeah, in the Salem theory, Witch Trials. Yeah, another theory that kind of makes sense is that, like, you know, at some point, like, in history, yeah, or maybe even ongoing to the present day, there is some kind of, like, you know, cultic, like, that these stories, these folktales, 
encode some kind of like cultic practice of humans i mean we know human sacrifice was practiced in sumeria in yeah. egypt like at yep. you know certain times you know in uh mesoamerican civilization like yeah. a lot of people say that the story of i like you know abraham and isaac is like about you know the replacement of human sacrifice with animal sacrifice you know yeah uh, yeah so um, like I, this yeah, idea, I, I just like, wanted to that one could say that instead of like this whole thing of like you know babies like unconsciously wanting to be cannibals like that seems uh, absolutely psychotic to be perfectly I honest don't like remember having any kind of desire to eat any human no uh, or that i was gonna yeah. be eaten by like my parents like that is just <laughs> yeah, so um, bizarre like it the, yeah the it, idea it, that i like you know we're all babies are cannibals and then they project that onto their parents or yeah like what okay anyway that's at least as much of a stretch as that like you know the idea of cannibals was like uh, something that existed and then was take you know or ritual cannibalism was taken like to you know people took it yeah. too far maybe and prosecuted into people another thing that he says going on further on this trend uh to, you know get definitely going down the religious line he says what is involved is not anti-clericalism that was open about and very widespread that the later middle ages nor is it intellectual agnosticism that first appeared in the 17th century and only in very restricted circles it is rather unconscious resentment against christianity as too strict a religion against crisis too certain a taskmaster Psychologically, it is altogether plausible that such an unconscious hatred would find an outlet in an obsession with the overwhelming power of Christ's great antagonist, Satan, and especially in fantasies of erotic debauches with him. It is not at all surprising that tension between conscious beliefs and ideals on one hand and unconscious desires and resentments on the other should lead some frustrated or neurotic women to imagine they had given themselves body and soul to the devil or to a subordinate demon. Nor is it surprising that these same tensions operating in a whole stratum of society should end by conjuring up an imaginary outgroup as a symbol of apostasy and of licentiousness, which is practically what witches became in many parts of Europe. So the two ideas mm. that he proposes are that someone would imagine through repressed desires that they were a Satanist mm -hmm. and that people would imagine that there were Satanists because of their repressed desires to rebel against Christianity. Wow. But he doesn't consider the possibility that someone would actually be a Satanist. Yeah. Because, like, what, like, what is you know, this? which we like, witness even now. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. So like, well, well would, you, know, you know, it doesn't really people exist. People today are like rebelling against like the suffocating grasp of Christianity, yeah. which is like, you know, not really, you know, such a big issue uh, in our society at this time. Uh, yeah. In most places, you know, maybe for some but like uh by you know worshiping a devil so the idea that like no one could have possibly done this it's i don't know or that nobody like would do it when it's such a huge part of human civilization like it's transcultural and it's <clears throat> you know the idea that no for some reason there's like this mental invisible mental wall that is built up around where these people cannot like acknowledge that there are actual groups of people who like stand around in acolyte robes and like try to do things like this. Like even uh, if it's, it's almost like admitting that that phenomenon occurs is somehow like lending credence to, to the fact that, you know, to the notion that what they're doing is like quote unquote effective in the material world when that's not even necessarily what we're saying. Um, I think the phenomenon is much more kind of psychological and murky, but, but nonetheless, like I, think you know i think maybe because medical science has a difficult time like putting this in a clean box in terms of 
the instrumentalization of things like magic um, or various kinds of witchcraft that they kind of want to, uh, I don't know, just like they don't want to reckon with it in a kind of serious way. And I think that ironically, like the myth of the Salem witch trial serves like a certain social purpose that like now is like one of these sort of civil myths that has a lot of fallacies. Like the one that operates for most people is the crucible one with like the heroic John Proctor, who mm-hmm. it really is like a Christ figure in a way. Like, yeah. you know, they, they forgive me, Father, they know not what they do, you know, get like, uh, you know, like, uh, et cetera, like, which a lot of these accused witches uh, weirdly didn't do if they were such, you know, pious Christians. Like, you know, wouldn't they? But anyway, like, uh, yeah. so like, um, you know, the idea of, like, their martyrdom for, like, you know, this, uh, in order for us to move past this, like, you know, dark era of uh, panic and, like, these, you know, beliefs in, in witchery or whatever, like, it's kind of, like, this weird civil tenant that prevents people from having, like, a, a nuanced view on what occurred. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that, like, you know, as the people at the time recognized that, like, that wasn't, like, you know, a, like, a horrible event. Like, you know, I think even Con Mather, who at first defended, like, you know, the judges and the magistrates out of a sense of, like, loyalty to them or whatever, he acknowledged, like, you know, he ended up saying that there weren't witches, uh, mm. you know, and that it was really just the devil, <laughs> you know. No, oh, okay, uh, like, okay. Um, it was just the devil, like, psyoping everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into uh, killing each other, so, basically. Yeah, like, they, uh, you know, they acknowledge, they even went further than Chadwick Hansen in saying that, you know, they, like, they, we got it wrong, or whatever. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, he, like, uh, people don't he pulled, have, like, he, cru- of, he Khrushchev'd himself a little bit. Yeah, a nuanced view <laughs> on, like, how this can happen, because that requires, in some way, like, implicating themselves, I guess. Like, it creates this, it's interesting, you know, this whole outgroup of, like, the witches, it cre- like, you know, the new witches are the witch hunters, uh, mm. you know, who They are. are. The hunter becomes the hunted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. like, you know, they are, like, this ultimate evil who we, like, dissociate ourselves from so that we can think, like, oh, I'm not like that. I mean, there was a funny quote in Hansen's book, which was, like, you know, talking about how, like, by the standards of the time, they were very conscientious, you know, they were very, like, uh even keel like uh you know temp like you know and uh, a lot of the you know uh actual uh community leaders and magistrates were you know more uh you know with exceptions they were like uh kind of on, on the level you know he says that if the people today who passed judgment on the puritans at salem were witch judges then like no one would have been you know everyone would be killed for witchcraft you know like if they uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like they would be sending everyone like to the gallows. <laughs> Old mammy red of Marblehead, sweet milk could turn to mold in churn. An evil bent with dire intent, practiced in dark her dreadful art. Old mammy red of Marblehead. Hanged on a tree till she was dead. Old Mammy Red of Marblehead at dawn's first glow turned into a crow. She'd cast a spell on Prue or Nell and with a wish drive away codfish. 
me red of Marblehead Hang down a tree till she was dead Old Mammy Red cursed good folks' bread. The crust was full of her blue wool. Old Mammy Red could speak with the dead. With Satan tis feared she was evilly reared. Old Mammy Red of Marblehead hanged on a tree till she was dead. They do ironically have that same level of kind of like like John Hawthorne, like that level of like vitriolic bullying kind of style of like, how dare you? Like, yeah, well, it's you know. kind of like a recent instance, uh, you know, not that I approve of her appointment or like think that like Trump should be, you know, I wish Trump wasn't appointing anybody like at mm-hmm. all. And I wish that there were someone else appointing judges to the Supreme Court like but Amy Coney Barrett, you know, who is someone who people were like, oh, she's from The Handmaid's Tale. Like, she's in a yeah. cult or whatever, yep. you yep. know? Like, it was kind of uh, a counter witchcraft, yeah. like an inverted she's, witchcraft yeah, uh, she's kind a, of allegations. Like, hyper conservative, like, and she probably will. Ironically, like, I think it's probably likely that she won't do any of the, like, Roe v. Wade stuff. I could be wrong. I'll admit that I'm wrong if she does go after it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think she might just rubber stamp a bunch of fashy bullshit, like, in general, you know, and not actually do the social security stuff she's supposed to do. But, like, you know, uh, either way, like, she's a ultra-conservative, obviously, but, like, you know, she, like, the way that people acted like she was in a cult or, like, that she was mm-hmm. the Handmaid's Tale, like, Yeah, literally, you know, uh, like... There's definitely kinda... substantive objections you can make, like... One crazy thing I read about her was that, like, she ruled that it was okay to, like, deny immigration, like, to someone if they might eventually one day possibly require government assistance. Like, you couldn't get a green card. Like, there's all sorts of bizarre stuff like that. But everyone sort of focused on, you know, her, like, religious beliefs. The charismatic group that she's in. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is, like, whatever. Um, But, yeah. Uh, So, eh. But... Yeah, like, uh, there's still this kind of, like, uh, outgroup phenomenon that happens, and it's become this sort of myth of goodies and baddies. Uh, Good, really, yeah, like, goodies, you know, no like pun John, intended. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the, the goodies are people like uh, John Proctor, the noble Christian Bale, who was, like, an abusive maniac who was chasing around his, like, 11-year-old servant with hot tongs. Yeah. And, yeah. like, you know, uh, like, Giles Corey, who also, like, you know, like, beat up his servants and things like that. Or, like, you know, like... Uh, and even yeah, a, a lot so. of these people, like, including um, one of the people snapped up in this trial uh whose name is candy who's a a black slave from barbados uh was at first accused of casting spells and things like that but then under examination she actually revealed that she you know people thought maybe at first that she had taken you know she had adopted some kind of a you know witch witchy kind of religion from like the west indies or then maybe from africa um but then it turns out that she was actually taught witchcraft by her mistress mrs hawks so it was like the white lady yeah who was doing yeah. it um and yeah, much uh, like uh the women are often taking the fall for the the men who are the real magicians and necromancers um, that's true there was also uh, reverend george burroughs who was accused yeah. in this who seemed he to be seemed at the very least like just as guilty as um old mammy red to me uh you know he was always be like i you know he'd come back and like 
tell his uh, wife, like, and uh, the people, like, his family who he, like, terrorized and always threatened, like, you know, I can hear what you're saying about me. And they'd be like, are you mm-hmm. eavesdropping? He's like, no, my God tells me what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. And, like, you know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and that was that was not an apparition. That was, like, they were out picking strawberries, right? Yeah, or something like. Uh, but he was, he was also, doing, yeah, uh, he was exposed as kind of like a pathological liar, also. So it was kind of hard to, you know, pin down the kind of things he would claim. But I guess he did kind of like falsely claim. He probably was just overhearing his uh, his sister and brother in law, but still like threatened them by saying that like he because he worships Satan, he can overhear what they say. Well, um, he didn't say that he worships Satan, but he did say or like said, my, my God. God. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, like if the, hypothetically, all these people are the, uh, of the same denomination. So you know, why else would you be saying my God? And of course, I, because mm-hmm. you, God doesn't allow you to do little magic tricks like that. Only the devil does in this kind of world of belief that these people live yeah. in. Right. And, yeah. Right. Uh, God doesn't you know like uh help you to like reveal gossip to like terrify your your wife your wife and your family you know uh yeah yeah no it doesn't and you know but nonetheless i think you know going back to that theme of like witchcraft has um witchcraft can be effective in a society that believes in it yeah he also apparently uh held up a seven foot fouling piece by inserting his forefinger in the muzzle or lifted a barrel of molasses by inserting two fingers into the bung. Uh, Burroughs had told some of these stories himself. Now they were coming back to haunt him, since they seemed to the community <laughs> evidence of a strength that was pretty preternatural. And he also, like, plagiarized some manuscript, like, uh, at his trial, and said that he, like, came up with something that was stolen and then, like, tried to get out of it. He, uh, he had conspicuously avoided taking communion. He said it was so long since he had taken it he could not tell so long, and he had baptized only the eldest of his children. But one cannot be... Yeah, it's funny. It says uh, he, you know, it's possible he was uh, a worshiper of the devil. But one cannot be certain. Perhaps he was only a liar who liked to boast of occult powers. (laughs) (laughs) Also possible. uh, Also possible. Yes, uh, that's what uh, Adam Canson has to say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, But, you know, I mean... uh, But, but, you know, in the view of the people that are, like, sitting in this courtroom who don't have a clear scientific explanation for how any of this works, when, I mean... It's intriguing how these children, like at the moment that they, they, you know, named like Sarah Good as one of the witches, they all seize up and have like horrible pains and everything. And I mean, I guess you could say that, you know, they were uh, doing it to themselves. And in that case, Sarah Good should have been just let go. Um, But I mean, then at the same, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean... I mean, it, it's, it's a yeah. fascinating kind of thing, but... Uh... Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, I mean, I think that the idea that it works, like, through... There's many things, like, in our world that operate through belief. I think we've used the example before, like, of the stock market. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's usually not so simple as saying, like, uh, don't think of, you know, like, don't think about it, you know, like, don't believe, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. like, uh, and... To yeah, I mean Hansen in his book, which is in 1969, you know he says like, well, we no longer have this because the belief in witchcraft has faded, but mm-hmm. mm, it's mm-hmm. coming back. Here uh, it comes. Uh, but yeah. you know, but I think the 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 context in which it's coming back is also very different, 
right now, you know, because yeah, I mean, I instead of there being about... a, a, a great fear and because I'm mean, part of maybe what the thesis is trying, the, the thesis he's trying to advance in this book a little bit is that if there is a pervasive fear of witchcraft, then embracing the rituals of witchcraft and like aiming them at people, almost like it, it may as well be considered a violent crime because yeah. you're like preying upon the belief that, you know, people take seriously and it it's like it will work if everybody believes in it. But then, you know, when you get into the question of kind of like, well, now that we have a kind of like secular, more um, certainly not monolithic religiosity, I mean, it, it's like there's different denominations and there's probably a decent chunk of people that are like not, you know, even people that go to church. It's not the, the, the totalizing kind of level of... Um, it's not the same like totalizing theological worldview that it was in the 17th century and there's a lot of science that has sort of you know uh worked its way in that kind of you know i think takes the the juice out of that that fear response but i i'm genuinely i genuinely wonder kind of like what kind of power is witchcraft capable of in a more or less kind of secularized united states as yeah, opposed to I mean, like, New England. Do we necessarily think that, like, I mean, it depends. Do you agree that uh, he, like, you know, it's all psychosomatic or is there some real power that exists? I mean, even John Hale uh, did eventually suggest that the power had to do with, like, the belief of the mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, there's some possibility of that, but I also, like, uh, wonder, like, I think that belief is, like, a very tricky thing. I mean, Freud also wrote about like the return of the repressed you know and mm -hmm. how something like these fears like come roaring back in a way like if you like uh he described it as being like oh so like ghosts really do you know the feeling of the uncanny that happens when you see like your doppelganger on the street or whatever mm -hmm. and then these like buried fears and these buried beliefs like come resurging to the surface you know that's what mm. uh yeah, he kind of yeah. talked about so I, I think it's like a tricky thing to say like you know, and I think that a lot of these religious impulses still operate, like, under, you know, different disguises and things like that. You know, yeah, like, uh, this was, like, a society where, like, everyone, you know, believed in witchcraft. So it's a completely different thing. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it, I, I was thinking about, like, Casey Anthony, you know, while I was mm -hmm. reading this, you know. And, like, the if you take away, like, the crime that Casey Anthony committed and, like, replace it with, tormenting a child through witchcraft like mm -hmm. you can kind of see like you know the difference is that people don't believe that that's possible anymore like people don't yeah. believe that witchcraft can do anything but like you know if you do think that's a serious crime then like you know a lot of the things that people used to convict casey anthony although she did get off but what was like convicted her in the court of popular opinion yeah. like was that she was constantly lying things like that that she like didn't seem to care like yeah. things like you know bridget bishop being like oh if i was a witch you'd know it like you know yeah, if yeah. casey anthony said that like people would be like my oh god. my god you know yeah exactly like no, uh, totally. but yeah so like uh yeah, there's well, even I mean, yeah. if you want to take a more modern example, like the, the uh, nowadays, it's like you know the McMartin case, for example. It was kind of the the very witchy parts of the accusations that kind of undermine that case more than anything else. Like mm -hmm. if it if it had been kind of like strictly about like abusing children at a daycare center, 
and didn't have this element of well, you know, we saw the teacher like flo- like levitate, and uh, you know, we, you know, people were doing like magical things. Like these five year old kids were saying that you know they saw basically magic happening, and that these people were doing some kind of like weird like witchcraft thing. But even by the nineteen eighties, I mean, of course, it it sort of freaked out a part of the country. But I think the uh, the consensus was kind of on the other side of the ball by that point, where the media was not going to seriously entertain that these people were like a coven of witches that were like abusing children for ritual purposes. You know, the idea because the idea being like wh- that doesn't work. Like, why would you ritualistically abuse children? It, it, magic isn't real. You know what I mean? But, of course, they're not kind of thinking about it. There could be all kinds of reasons why they could either be pretending to do magic or maybe there maybe there is something that we're, we're not fully kind of aware of in terms of techniques of, uh, I don't know, uh, imprinting trauma on people or mind control or things like that, like brainwashing, that kind of stuff. Um or, you know, yeah. doing it in a ritualized format, like, gets you a different outcome than not doing it in a ritualized format and all these things. But that's so far beyond the kind of uh, scientific consensus in, you know, the late yeah. 20th century to today. Um, and, 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 you know, the, it's... Yeah, the myth of the Salem witch trials is one that I think, like, serves in a lot of ways to uphold, like, that consensus and protect it from... Because if this... In the same way that uh, Cotton Mather said, you know, if, like, you know, we can't prove the existence of the spiritual world, if these Sadducees get their way, then Christ will, you know, become nothing but a light within, you know, and uh, heaven will become nothing but, uh, you know, like uh, a frame of mind, right? Hmm. Um, So, like, uh, it's the same thing where, like, if, you know we question these ideas then we're going to become the evil crazy you know puritan society that really was not as crazy like or you know uh was relatively reasonable compared to like a lot of the other uh societies and the, the western world in the 17th century in terms of this yeah kind of stuff, yeah you know? exactly uh, exactly it yeah, wasn't that like, out of line um but you know, like yeah well that's the idea like anyway like you know obviously we don't want to go back to the 17th century like for various reasons but like the idea is that like if we open these questions up like it's all going to come crashing down and we're going to end up back at the Salem witch trials yeah. with people. Which like, I think you know. is, you know, fundamentally, like, that is not how, um, you know, I think even just in, like, a, a, I don't know, historical materialism sense is, like, impossible and, you know, get real. Come on. You know, we're not going back to, like, I think that's maybe the fundamental thing. It's, like, if there's some, you know, something kind of um, that doesn't hit right about, like, the Handmaid's Tale itself. <laughs> it's, like, a thing yeah. is that, like, we're not going to go back to that. I, and, and, you know, maybe you could just say, like, you know, fuck you, Dimitri. You just are – you're like a man. You don't understand. You know, Amy Coney Barrett is going to take everything away. And it's like if it, it, – I'm not saying that there's not going to be, you know, repressive uh, forms of control. But I, I don't think uh, – I don't think you can point to too many historical examples of us, like, some kind of ideological edifice – you know, crumbling or some kind of superstition crumbling and suddenly we're back like 300 years in the past. Um, Um, Yeah, I mean, The Handmaid's Tale, like the way that it happened is quite something. I don't like really, 
I mean, I feel like maybe there's like a conceit of it, like that, like people stopped uh, being fertile or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It was like yeah. a children of men type thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so like maybe that caused society to kind of degenerate to the point where what happened was possible. So that's like a whole different thing, you know, like uh, sure. that kind of makes it like <laughs> makes the whole thing stabilizes the idea there's this massive social transformation that yeah. can lead to epistemological transformations. I like guess that like, you're you know, right. Yeah. Like I mean in a kind of um dystopian sci-fi like generic yeah. you know framework, I think that kind of does justify. It's like what if there was this like crazy phenomenon that happened yeah. that you know science couldn't deal with, but absent yeah, something it's interesting like that. It's like a, yeah, a phenomenon that, that baffles science in a way. So like, you know, the whole like the way it's held up now is like we're going away from science but the whole thing kind of depends on this like sort of deus ex machina of like a science destroying you know science annihilating phenomenon of like mass infertility that can't be dealt with or explained Um, yeah yeah yeah. but anyway yeah i hope i'm remembering (laughs) it uh correctly but um I think yeah, that is like, more uh, or less what it is, but yeah, but you know what? Um, so I don't know what do, what do we think about today, where there is a kind of rising popularity in like witchy stuff. You know, what kind of power can that actually affect? Because I think well, there's a I lot do, of. I was gonna say I do remember, like, kind of in the same vein as what we've been talking about, like when there was the hex that was cast upon the moon. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I remember someone saying that, like, you know, I drank moon water or something. You know, like the which is will put water out, like, on the windowsill to, like, you know, absorb the energies of the moon or they'll do lunar-based practices or, like, draw energy mm-hmm. from the moon or something. Yeah. And one witch said that she did this, and then she was, like, sick and, like, in bed, like, you know, for days, like, because of the hex upon the moon that had been cast. Mm-hmm. So that, I feel like, is a very, like, Chadwick Hanson-type story of, like, where he would be like, well, you know, it, because she believed in the hex on the moon, the hex on the moon, effect, you know, affected her. Um, yeah yeah so, so i guess like, the, you know, the the logical question there is like is tiktok going to reindoctrinate people into being afraid of the powers of witchcraft and thereby <laughs> like make it real again in a way uh well i did read about this one you know because i was reading you know more about like the whole like re- like sort of obliquely around this i was reading more about the whole like uh, or elliptically reading more about the whole, like, you know, Margaret Murray, like, witch cult hypothesis, like, the idea of, because I think, you know, more and more people kind of are coming to a uh, more synthesized idea, like, you know, this whole notion of a, like, the Wiccan idea of, like, a, a pagan survival was just sort of rejected at one point, like, there's no real evidence for this, but now people are coming, you know, towards a synthesis between this idea and, you know, the, mm-hmm. like, you know, the more critical notion. Yeah, I did, uh, in sort of reading elliptically about this, I came across this document that, uh, I guess, was first published at the very end of the 19th century called uh, The Gospel of the Witches by Charles G. Leyland, which he claimed he got from, uh, you know, some, like, uh, intermediary, kind of like David Myatt saying that he had, like, some mistress of the, you know, dark who initiated him into the Order of the Nine Angles as part of his, mm-hmm. you know, aeonic change. He claimed that he got this document from someone who knew about, you know, uh, ancient witch religions. Uh, it was called the Gospel of the Witches, and, you know, there was a kind of a goddess who was a daughter of Diana, um, called Aradia, and her brother, uh, Lucifer, mm. uh, who is the god of the sun and the moon, the god of light, 
who was sent to the earth to teach the poor and resist the oppression of the wealthy classes through magic and witchcraft. So whoa, 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 this, whoa. Hold yeah. up. Um, <laughs> Lucifer is not a leftist, okay? He's not, uh, he's not Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jesus the was gospel, the first communist. Uh, hmm. Well, according <laughs> to the gospel of the witches, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, together with Aradia, this, you know, uh, figure. And so people mm. were kind of trying to uh, assess whether you know this was real there's a paper on it by uh, sabina magliocco of california state university mm-hmm. and uh she kind of uh is trying to appraise like the reality of this and she says some interesting things using like a concept in folklore studies called ostension mm-hmm. um so she writes and this kind of gets into the idea of the belief versus disbelief she says uh you know a legend is a story set in the real world about an extraordinary or numinous event. Legends are typically told as true, with many features that root them in a specific time and place and lend them authenticity. But they are not necessarily believed by all who tell them. In fact, according to legend scholars Linda Degg and Andrew Vassioni, it is the tension between belief and disbelief that keeps legends alive and circulating, as each new listener must decide, is this true? Could this have happened? Within any given community, there are legend believers and disbelievers. Our community is, of course, no exception when it comes to this particular legend. The truth content of legends, that is, how closely they correspond to actual historical events, can vary widely. Although they contain a kernel of reality, many legends are, quote, true only in the most metaphorical sense, that they are an accurate reflection of popular attitudes, values, and morality at a given time or place. Uh, So she goes on. Um, Legends can take many forms. Most typically, they occur as narratives, either in the first person, this actually happened to me, or third person, this actually happened to a friend of a friend lost long ago. Logically, many legends start out as first-person accounts and become third-person accounts, but just as often, a narrator may retell a third-person account as though it actually happened to him or her, making the story more vivid for the audience. Legends can also exist as simple statements, i.e., the house in the hill is haunted, or sorry, e.g., and occasionally become dramatic enactments known as ostension which I will describe later at some length. So I will skip to where uh, she talks about ascension, but basically ascension is where like uh, a legend is enacted uh, dramatically. So what she's saying is that, you know, these ideas about Aradia and her brother Lucifer, the stuff in the gospel of this might be not real, but like in taking it as real, like, you know, it might not be a legitimate document, like maybe Leyland's, uh, you know, forged it, maybe Charles Leyland's, you know, just uh, fabricated some of the stuff, but mm-hmm. enacting it, you know, maybe uh, it, it gains some reality, or maybe, you know, some of the myths about witches that circulated, sometimes people did kind of enact upon them. This is what uh, Maglioco says. Okay. Um, so, uh, if, uh, uh, anyway, so she talks about, if Sibelia, Piranha, and Beleza were indeed members of a society, you know, uh, their stories begin to make a certain amount of sense, talking about, you know, uh, uh, people who attested to be members of which societies in medieval Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is especially true if we consider two additional tentative assumptions, the idea of ascension and that of the autonomous imagination. Ascension is deg and Vasnoy's uh, term for the enactment of legends. For example, you know, very appropriate to uh, the current season, a Halloween haunted house may portray legends about ghosts, vampires, and werewolves, or a pagan ritual may dramatize the legend of Robin Hood. Ostension always derives from the pre-existing legend, 
the legend precedes the existence of its enactment. This, I think, uh, next example pertains more to the, like, sort of witchcrafts that we're talking about, the malefic witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Thus, for instance, legends of contaminated Halloween candy predated the finding of actual contaminants in treats by at least 10 years. Uh, individuals who place needles, razor blades, and other dangerous objects in treats as pranks engage in a form of ostension. So the idea uh, that like, people were going to do this existed before people actually started to do this. So we see the same thing, I think, you know, in... The, these, uh, these things are almost born originally in the imagination, and then they yeah. sort of get out as memes, and then eventually somebody uh and we definitely see that in modern day like the idea of satanism like levain satanism on the surface you know you could say this is like old like blah blah, blah but like just on the the surface level of like a levain satanism that is someone becoming a satanist to be provocative you know basically following a religion that was made up for like hollywood movies to scare people in yeah. uh, you know in theory you know, uh, well, that, so. that also a really, I don't know. Uh, tell me if this is not a really good kind of example of this happening, but just the other night I watched for the first time in years, I rewatched scream mm. and, um, <clears throat> you know, I've been on kind of a Wes Craven kick lately. I realize I mm -hmm. think he's, uh, kind of in a way like underappreciated in some respects. Um, yeah. but, but scream, you know, is a kind of this like meta nineties slasher movie, but the whole thing in scream is that the murderers are these two teenagers who have become so obsessed with slasher movies that they kind of concoct their own ridiculously convoluted, like two-person conspiracy to basically like murder a bunch of their friends and various people in their town and get yeah. away with it in a kind of perfect way that i mean even at the end when they're kind of doing the obligatory uh you know describing to nev campbell what their evil plan is and how they're going to get away with it uh matthew lillard goes you know because everybody knows you gotta have a sequel you know right. and uh yeah. and it's because the movie has seeded these ideas into their mind and they're like such like uh i don't know tv brained like gen xers that basically like this is you know the coolest thing to them is to imitate something they've seen in the horror movie genre that they love so much and mm -hmm. basically they bring it into fruition and actually do it even though the the stories that they're basing their whole thing on are completely fictional like michael myers and jason etc cetera, etc cetera. these are all fictional things that did not ever happen in the quote real material world but yeah. nonetheless like the idea became manifest and then actually became a real thing because of the fictional meme and to scream begin with four like takes it to a whole new level where like at least in the original scream it was for revenge spoiler alert for scream uh but uh you know, I guess you already kind of gave it well, away. Well, like, I mean, like, uh, yeah. it's a thin uh, revenge. It's like you won't sleep with me. <laughs> Which well, is it was also because of his mother, uh, you know, or her mother, you know. Um, like, uh, right? Oh, yeah, be, that's yeah. right, because he, his, her mother had an affair with his dad, and that's why his dad left, and he didn't have a yeah. dad, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, but by the time of Scream 4, you know, it became just straight up about, like, becoming famous, for doing this. And I think actually another Wes Craven movie, it could possibly be an even more trenchant example in the idea of like Freddy oh, Krueger. Oh, uh, Wes Craven's because, New Nightmare? Well, you know, just Freddy himself and especially New Nightmare because that's like takes it to a meta yeah. level. But even the idea of Freddy as someone who like 
his power literally comes from people's belief in his legend and yes. the fear of him and his, you know, the dreams manifest in reality. And then, of course, a new nightmare takes it to a meta level. Where I, I mean, I'm happy you brought that up because over the last, like, two weeks, I've watched I watched every single uh, Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> movie, like, all the uh, way from number one through Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, highly recommend that to anybody. I mean, maybe watch, like, the first one, you know. Uh, they're all kind of satisfying i have to say like i think mm-hmm. they actually hold up surprisingly well because they are so heavily rooted in the psychological dimension of belief being like critical to the menace of freddy like the mm-hmm. idea that freddy is kind of this meme like he only shows up in your dreams and then the constant you know pretty much he's on a hot streak the first like four or five movies of just killing everybody that tries to get away from him because nobody takes them seriously you know mm-hmm. nobody nobody ever uh the belief is not widely held in society that freddy is real and so these kids are kind of left defenseless to sort of a uh, you know, fight back against them, and they can only stay awake for so long. And he comes and gets them, and uh, and then you know, like in the second one, he actually he does a little bit, almost like a like MK assassin kind of thing, where he kind of takes over the body of this guy of this teenager, and then gets him to commit murders. And then, of course, like the murder is framed on this kid, and not nobody even suspects that you know it's Freddy. Um, mm-hmm kind of directing the whole thing and then of course uh Wes Craven's new nightmare is kind of fascinating because it stars the girl I'm forgetting the actress's name the girl who plays Nancy the protagonist of like the first and third movies the original kind of like you know uh last girl or whatever um survivor of Freddy and it but it stars her as herself as the actor and she starts to have nightmares that like Freddy is haunting her and it actually it ends up the the cause for it ends up being that Wes Craven who plays himself is working on a new Freddy script that stars her and the 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 story that he's writing into his screenplay is happening to her like in real time as she's writing it and Wes Craven has some like hilarious kind of like a scene where he describes how it you know ever since the Freddy movie stopped he's uh he's been able to like enter into our world so he has to write like one more movie to like end Freddy once and for all <laughs> and all this stuff like it gets very very kind of heady and meta but in a kind of um fun way i guess but you know there's a great scene where like you know she goes on a talk show to ask talk about nightmare on elm street and they're like she's already been having freddy nightmares and then it's like we got a special surprise for you and then everyone starts <laughs> cheering and freddy like rips apart like the the yeah. set and like pops out like i'm back and she has to sit right. there kind of laughing and like clapping yeah. but she's kind of like low-key um haunted yeah, by horrified it, you know? of robert england yeah yeah even and though they're like england friends is, like painting like you know uh, dark pictures of freddy like being haunted by it yeah i remember yeah. that um yeah yeah uh yeah i haven't seen i think new nightmare is like the most recent freddy movie well I've if seen. you count uh, uh freddy versus jason i believe is oh, the I final canonical i think it's the last one with like robert england there was oh, yeah. a remake in 2009 i think where a new person plays freddy so i don't I count see. that and it All didn't right, get any yeah. sequels so i i count actually i mean i'd say either fred was craven's new nightmare or freddy versus jason is the uh the, the capstone of the whole yeah. series. Uh, Freddy versus Jason kind of blue, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, I did word. see that. I think uh, I saw it in theaters in high school, you know? 
Uh, yeah, I think I saw it uh, in high school or early in college, um, uh, like uh, on like on demand TV or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I was thinking relative to like the power of belief. Uh, something that came to my mind uh, was Julia Yaffe, who I feel like we've mentioned on the podcast before, or Ayaf, uh, oh as I've called her. Yes. She had a thread a while ago about how she, like, you know, believes she has COVID, even though she's tested negative for it, like, five times. Is this the, the um, long COVID article? Uh, yeah, I think maybe it is. Like, that's what like, people uh, are derisively calling it, is that, like, you never actually test positive, but you believe that you're suffering for months yeah. from this uh, ailment. Doctors tell me why I have COVID, why I want the tests. Uh, she's been sick for over the month with doctors long ago diagnosed as COVID, you know, so why has Julia Yaffe repeatedly tested negative? So, uh, you know, maybe, like, who knows, mm. the tests... Maybe it's or like, something, but or maybe yeah. it's just like you know she has COVID because she wants to have COVID. Uh, she certainly uh, loves attention. Uh, I think we, uh, yeah, her, Devin. Maybe Allah is punishing her selfie, for uh, spreading her so much Russia Gate. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, for hanging out with her Spencer. Maybe uh, who knows? But she know, actually like, uh, just related to that. She is the one who just wrote a big article. It, it, I, I have to muster up like the energy to like read through the whole thing. It's one of these like Atlantic, I think long reads, but it was all about how like a brave, cool, awesome, uh, CIA operative got hit with like sonic weapons, uh, when he was in Russia and right. he's convinced that like Russia like targeted him with these, you know, the same thing as like the Havana, the Cuban embassy and all these us embassy workers that were coming down with strange ailments. And, um, but it, it kind of almost syncs up with what we're talking about here, where there's this guy who's claiming that he's had all these health problems as a result of being, you know, targeted by some kind of experimental, uh, sonic weaponry or something like that. But this CAA kind of won't, I don't know, they won't kind of give him any medical care. They've kind of brushed him off, and now he's kind of mad. And, you know, she writes it in a whole context of, like, like what are you doing, CIA? Like, one of your brave soldiers has come down with, like, Russian, uh, you know— you know, a Russian attack. Like, why aren't they helping it? I think maybe it's because, like, I don't know, I just— kind of i've gotten the vibe ever since that havana thing started to happen that like eh, i would not put it above the u.s to like do this to themselves and then yeah. blame cuba blame russia all these different things you know um, so uh so but but it, it still kind of brings it, it's like that's even in our modern technological era there's a kind of or you know being like a targeted individual also yeah you know well, like i mean in general like there's many cases of like demonic possession like both in in you know the western world as well as like in other countries like you know there's i mean witchcraft is still like a huge phenomenon like in a lot of the world where it's like widely believed in and it can still operate in uh you know certain places like one great book about like uh you know the whole uh problem of like psychoanalysis and dealing with uh, sort of possession or the unseen world uh, is Not of the Soul by Stefania Pandolfo, uh, which mm -hmm. is about kind of, it's like an ethnography in Morocco. It's like one of the few ethnographies that I actually like, but I, I recommend that book a lot because it deals with this problem in like a very interesting way. But I was just going to say like more broadly that like, uh, you know, of course we, you know, I already mentioned the stock market. There's like many things that like in our world function by belief and like you can, you know, beyond like the whole psychosomatic illness thing, like you really can like die of fear 
you can die of we you know we hear now about deaths of despair things like that you can die you know you can waste away from mm -hmm. not having hope you know uh, my god yeah look at it right know. now this whole year of like lockdowns and uncertainty suicide rates yeah. are up and all these stuff mm -hmm. it's not like anything you know kind of uh external well i mean it is environmental in a way but it's not like people that are say choosing to kill themselves or succumb to opioid overdoses or just or just like you know mentally in a not good place right now it's not that you know something's coming in and like directly like doing that to them it's it's much more uh kind of um complicated and yeah well instead of like a spectral being like you know forcing occult poisons down your throat uh instead like you know uh our like twisted society is forcing like opioids and alcohol like down your throat uh mm -hmm. to you know uh through like the processes of alienation um you know mm -hmm. uh at the expe you know at the risk of a somewhat tortured metaphor uh you can uh you know uh go with that route but yeah uh i don't know what the <laughs> what the future uh holds for uh witch talk um you know i yeah or we you assume know, they uh, would be able to uh you know to hex Trump out of office or something like that, but I guess you know certain things, certain uh, boulders. I heard one cannot... theory that he wants, um, like you know the like the hex is that he like doesn't you know like as he recently said like I had a great life you know before I became president or whatever. So maybe uh -huh. like I heard one theory that the hex like is working, but it's because he's you know he really wishes that he didn't want to become president. He didn't. He doesn't want to be president. So like. You know, by cursing him to be unhappy, you know, the real curse is that he's president. <laughs> um, Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to be careful what you curse for. Yeah. Mm, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that people were concerned that uh, God was angry at them and therefore he empowered them, like the witches, to harm them. At least that's an interview that Cotton Mather expressed. But I think that, you know... If everyone just, uh, you know, trusts in God, he can protect them from the, the existing crop of witches to the point that no trials would be necessary. Indeed. Um, uh, yes, indeed. I don't think yeah. they're of the, the level of uh, conjuration that, you know, except, you know, maybe, uh, maybe uh, not, not the uh, not the ones that we're seeing on TikTok, maybe, uh, you know, hidden away. And, no. Uh, higher the more, you know. You can see some, some advanced sorcerers. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't yes, know. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, you know, final verdict. What do you think? Um, Cotton Mather did nothing wrong. Um, Agreed. And, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Mammy Red, I don't know. Like, yeah, kind of. Like, I could see it. Bridget Bishop, mm, you know, mm. uh, really pushing it. Burroughs kind of like kind of a sus lord yeah pretty sus uh i don't know yeah i feel like um you know yeah i will i mean again like uh cotton mather is islamophobic uh for saying that the devil uh had a quran or that the devil's book which was like a list of witches names like resembled the quran like what does that even mean like uh the quran <laughs> isn't a list of like you know puritan women's names uh i know i know uh, pretty islamophobic so he did that wrong um, yeah, and yeah, insofar you know. as he was down with genociding Native Americans by virtue of being, like, you know, a Massachusetts colonist, he did that wrong. But in terms of, like, uh, the witch trials, 
you know, especially in context, you know, relative to the others around him and the, you know, uh, the some of the other witch trials that occurred. Uh, he's not the uh, villain that he's, he's made out to be. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that yeah. much we can we can agree yes. on. Um, um, Miller lied. Yeah, uh, Mil- but Miller, Miller lied. did lie. Miller he definitely lied. lied. He, de- he lied. He lied hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's and, one of those. That's uh, it's definitely a Betsy Ross created the American flag situation with the Salem witch trials. We're just yes. swimming in nonsense that like is totally not real. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that uh, I guess he wanted to make a you know he wanted to make a little slam dunk on McCarthyism by doing this play, but instead he like i don't know <laughs> now uh, it is. He made a hero out of a maniacal tongue wielding uh freak and uh <laughs> aka uh, but, uh, like kind of slandered like a girl who possibly died of uh witch uh witch induced you know, molestation yeah yeah exactly um, but, exactly you know, into like a, a tramp who like brought down a whole community because she wanted to have sex with john proctor um so yeah a nasty Um, woman um yeah well in a way yeah Mm -hmm. who even though he 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 tweaked the ages to like 16 and 30 uh, still problematic john proctor yeah you know even like uh, even that book i read about the witch of kilkenny was like you know misogyny doesn't really hold up as like the real reason for some of the stuff a lot of the historians even like you know are kind of dismissive of reducing it just to misogyny and as we saw and you know even though that's like kind of the like we are the daughters of the witches you couldn't burn (laughs) like you know like it's kind of like a feminist thing like Uh there were a lot of like witches killed at salem who were like creepy old men who like you know uh yeah like uh it wasn't just like you know uppity women who like (laughs) challenged the patriarchy by buying garments that were too small you know like uh too red and too red like uh yeah they were too small because because they were being used to dress like, you know, sinister poppets that she was using to uh, torment uh, innocent girls. Uh, no. Um, yeah, but, yeah. yeah um, it's not nice in a society where everybody fanatically believes in witchcraft to go uh, and witchcraft they also to believe underage witchcraft. girls. They also believed in witchcraft, you know? It's kind of like if you have a gun that you think is full of bullets, but it's actually full of blanks, and you fired at someone, like... You're right. You're right. In the court of law, in in our hallowed courts of law, uh, you know, that would still be a felony. Not only that, but, like, a lot of the people who were hung as witches at Salem, including Bridget Bishop and uh, Wilmot Red, like, are still attained by the, the state of Massachusetts as being witches, like really? they're, they've you know, not their been convictions pardoned? have not been overturned. No, Ooh. they're still uh, considered witches. Well, um, you know, so, uh, a little know. bit like um, a little bit like Trotsky, a little bit like uh, mm, Tukhachevsky, mm-hmm. a little bit <laughs> like mm, Yagoda. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah Cotton Mather uh, is much like Stalin. Uh, you know, he's a man of steel. One was a man of cotton. He's a man um, of steel. Some underlings did some bad things, but they were perhaps Satanists themselves. And, yeah. uh, you know, mm. they, you know, the capitalists, the fascists, the social fascists, the they play their tricks. Friends. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll get to that another day. But I think for now, uh, I think we can we can we can yeah. leave it there. Uh, I think there's some interesting food for thought there. And um, yeah, happy uh, happy Halloween. You know, yeah, watch out uh, for you know uh, beware of the shadow of the witches upon the moon. Beware of nocturnal flights. Uh, don't like sign any books wielded by a male goat and or a a monkey with yeah monkey with chicken feet feet. and a human face and and, uh, please do not boil like a pot of like children's piss and try to drink it to rid your home of demonic influence yeah, that probably. Well, you know, even if it, it perhaps does work, worked, that's that's just going to the devil to fight the devil. So don't do that. Um, that's yeah. a that's a, definitely a, a motto on subliminal jihad is do not go to the devil to fight the devil. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a good. It's good advice. Thank you, uh, Samuel Paris. Um, <laughs> and if a raven alights on a nearby branch and tells you uh, Ikra, uh, you know to uh read uh the holy scriptures then uh you know by which i mean of course the quran you you should (laughs) do that um which is not the book of the devil uh it is uh, actually a profound revelation and not just a random list of uh you know bridget bishop's name etc she wishes yeah she wishes she wishes okay well yeah so keep all that in mind um in this very spooky season and uh i think uh we'll be back i think next time for a q a episode after Ah, this yeah yeah, i got some good stuff going on yeah um so anybody that hears this it's on the on the awar frequency if you want to i don't know how many days you'll have but if you want to get in a question on the discord now's your time Mm -hmm. to do so we will address Mm -hmm. it we will yes, dig we're... in. Yeah. Um, but until that time, don't cast spells on people <laughs> and stay vigilant. Yeah, watch out for ostended uh, razor blades in your Halloween candy, um, etc. Uh, not or that you'll be psychotic teenagers cause... that want to recreate 80 slasher movies. Yeah. Um, uh, etc. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget to wear your mask. Stay prepared unexpected, you know. Watch out for gins. Yeah, watch out for Jin sometimes taking the form of a man. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to worry about. But anyways, yeah. Until next time, uh, dear folks, stay vigilant. Peace. Susanna Martin was a witch who dwelt in Amesbury. With brilliant eye and salty tongue, she worked her sorcery. And as unto the judge's court, the sheriff brought her hither. The lilacs drooped as she passed by, and then were seen to wither. A witch was she, though trig and neat, with comely head held high. It did not seem that one as she with Satan so would vie. And when in court the afflicted ones proclaimed her evil ways, she laughed aloud and boldly then met Cotton Mather's gaze.
Who hath bewitched these maids, he asked, and strong was her reply. If they be dealing in black arts, you know as well as I. And now the stricken ones made moan as she approached near. They saw her shape upon the beam, so none could doubt twas there. The neighbors round swore to the truth of her satanic powers, that she could fly o'er land and stream and come dry shod through showers. At night was said she had appeared a cat of fearsome mien. Avoid she devil, they had cried, to keep their spirits clean. Spectral evidence was weighed, then stern the parson spoke. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, tis written in the book. Susanna Martin, so accused, spake with flaming eyes. I scorn these things, for they are not but Filthy gossip's lies. Now those bewitched, they cried her out, their voices loud did ring. They saw a bird above her head, an evil yellow thing. And so Susanna Martin died beneath a summer sky. And still in scorn she faced the rope, her comely head.